of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> Guys, I've made it, alright, everyone thought that I was under an injury cloud, TNT tweeted out that I was under an injury cloud, there was rumours that I refused to be selected on uh, Friday, that I refused to travel with the team, but I am here, I'm ready to host, we're going to keep this to under an hour after last week's debacle of 2 hours and 46, you guys went so long that for some reason Brisbane Raw had to get rid of their academy, that's how long you guys went for, we've already lost Dubano, Dubano's been lost after a minute which is a new record and this is a good thing because if me and you Joey it'll go quicker, Joey how are you? I, I, I'm going very well. It's great to see that you've uh, decided to join us on the stream after initially declaring that you weren't available, uh, Nick Stoll. So it's yeah. great to see that our, our leading man, our leading striker, our leading diva um, is still here to make the show all about himself. Should we should we do a skin folds test? Should I expose a little Save it for the Patreon. Save it for the Patreon. For the OnlyFans. The internet starts working, and then I see Stoll again. Has is 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 going topless already? We're in the first two minutes of the show, mate. Oh, uh, uh how are your skin folds? Uh, horrible right now, mate. Yeah, horrible, what if, uh, horrible. What if what if what kind of? I mean, look. So here's what you need to know, people. There's a couple of things. First of all, last week was too long, and we 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 got the feedback, and we're going to keep it under an hour. But here's what I want to know: How do all these other podcasts stay under an hour? Because like, what do they talk about? Like, do they just be like, "All right, Sydney FC, Adelaide, ooh, tough game, probably shouldn't have been a red card." All right, let's move on to the next one. Like, how do they get through this stuff so quick? We try, we try and keep it short, but we just go off on little tangents, little things like skin folds, tomatoes, UFOs. It's tough to do this role, guys. That's what I'm just saying. So. Here's what I want to know in the comments. What's the weirdest TNC tangent that we've ever done? And and that will maybe explain why that we've taken so long to do these things. You, you um, see, because we, we do need a, no, no, well, we do need a new meme. So we've sort of like gone from my accent to name puns to yeah. Hinge and Tinder. Now it's Vince Regari's the richest journalist in Australia. We need a new meme. We need something else to run into the ground. It's, Hey, Stoll, can I just uh, have a little no. anecdote from the weekend? Yeah, yeah, please. Go for okay. it. Especially yeah. if Joey yesterday, doesn't like it. Yeah, yesterday in the press conference, Joey, mm. I think it was the PK or Popper, he said, half. And Anna Harrington was sitting next to me and looked at me straight away trying not to laugh. And then it triggered me. <laughs> and, oh, no. and it was oh, I just thought we were talking about access. I was just heard And then on Friday, and I, I did like, the same thing to the media manager of Western United. Yeah. So, I mean, um, well, she wasn't explicitly laughing, but she was just, she no. had this little like smirk and I was, I wasn't sure maybe she was laughing at something else, but it was, it was just the timing of, you know, aftermath and then the smirk <laughs> and it was like, all right, here we go. We should do a TNC <laughs> aftermath. Um, look, let's get to, here's one of the reasons that the show takes forever is it's people blame us. It's the comments fault. Cause there's so many comments to get through. You don't, you don't there. have to read them. Nick have, Stoll. Yeah. Look, you do, all right? <laughs> Antonis Fagona said, did Stoll just do the reverse alien? I don't even know what that means, but it's good stuff, mate. It's good stuff. Nick dejected. Yeah, we're still doing Nick Devano punts for sure. <laughs> um, Adelika says, 
any performances clauses in your contract stole. No, my performances are terrible. All right. I would never put them in my contract. I would never get paid. Um, uh, run the meme, run the memes, which by the way, run the memes doing some sensational work. He called it El Emptico. That was hilarious. Then he called uh, Perth Glory v Central Coast Mariners El Bad Tacchio. <laughs> that was like sensational. Uh, he says the Rigari content never gets old. I agree. Um, Rigari is rich. Don't let him deny it. The four episodes of uh, Sky Blue are finally out. Uh, I believe Vince is looking at buying the Paramount um, Corporation. Uh, you know, and he wants to kind of consolidate all corporations the, so you know the, the, the question i have stole is uh yeah. if he was filing at the sydney fc game say did he get his own box with like his own personal catering you know like we're talking above like the the usual media box came we're talking oysters we're talking 100%. champagne you know actually well, I, I wonder what he got i was at i was at the stadium sitting with the people because that's how i am vince up in the vip vince riari zone the helicopter that he took to the game landed on top of the stadium, right? Then then he was ushered down. He was carried on, like, you know how they carry, like, royal princes on, on their was... shoulders to the press box where he was there giving was... a full banquet. There was also football matches on this weekend, which we should perhaps get to discussing. That's good. Uh, Antonis Pagonis points out TNC, five minutes of inside jokes to start the show. All right, guys, which game would you like to start with? Would you like to start the with the chronological game? order one? All right, all right, all right. Let's start all with right, Western right, United right. one, MacArthur one. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is in attendance to hear it, didn't make a sound at all. Guys, you were in attendance. There wasn't many people there, but we'll talk about the on-field stuff first, and then we'll go to the off-field stuff. Give me your Western United MacArthur takes. Joey, you seem the most annoyed at me right now, so I'll let you go first. All right, so it, it, it was an interesting game. MacArthur, again, as we are increasingly seeing with them under Dwight York this regular season, less of the ball, uh, hope getting the ball out high to their high and wide wingers and just trying to expect one of their supremely talented attackers to do something for them. Uh, goal arise from a set piece um, sort of changes the dynamics of the game. Western United generally, you know, were pretty much all over them pretty much after the goal, as you'd sort of expect. MacArthur sitting back, they ended the game on 39% possession, but it was a funny old game because like there were there were a lot of chances but there weren't a ton of really high quality chances and like if you sort of look at like the xg from this game like you, the xg says that you know western united finished on 3.04 which makes it sound like they massively underperformed to only score a single goal but it was really because they were able to get these shots, which, you know, were in good positions. And technically there wasn't a lot of players between the ball and the goal, but like they were lunging for it or it was a high degree of difficulty chance or something like that. So they really weren't as high quality as perhaps the stat sheet uh, would would suggest. Although I do think they were good value for their draw in the ends. They, you know, with the amount of position and territory that they had, they certainly, um, it certainly felt like they were coming in particular, um, both Garuccio and Riston. Riston especially was able to get forward quite a lot with a lot of impunity and into a lot of space. And in the end, it's his cross that uh, finds Lockie Wales. And after a VAR review, which I suppose it was, you know, it was very, very tight, but they get their equaliser and, you know, will probably feel like they perhaps should have won it. I, I was intrigued with MacArthur 
for a number of reasons. I think looking at them before the changes came, my one of my things with MacArthur is I don't think Jerry Scatardis as a single pivot is working in that system. Um, I think there's too often a, a disconnect between the Bulls' defence and attack. Um, and there are times when the Bulls' defence has the ball, the opposition's able to get set up in their block. And so I don't think Skatardis as a lone pivot is suited to, you know, he's not very press resistant. He doesn't really show for the ball as much in those circumstances and getting his side up the pitch. So I think that's going to be something to watch moving forward. And I've got a few more points on that, but I'll let Dabano just, say his thing before I get to that. Well, just quickly on the Skatardis thing, do you reckon, is there any reason why Bacchus um, hasn't started? Because he started the he's final... Hurting. Okay, all right. well, well, there you go. I mean, that's. Do you know how long he's going to be out for? <sighs> Maybe York was non-committal week. after the game. Yeah. He was very oh, non-committal. Okay. Yeah, I thought he was. Look, it's a different opposition. Whatever, it's a different situation. I thought he was good against Sydney United, and I quite liked him in there. So, it'd be interesting to see when he returns how that mm. impacts it. But, Debana, did you think that um, Macarthur were affected by the absence of Davila, and how so? Uh, to an extent, but I thought Craig Noon did quite well playing centrally. I don't think he disgraced himself by any stretch playing in a bit of an unfamiliar role. I mean, we've seen him when he was at Melbourne City particularly play um, as a left-sided winger on the right. And I mean, under Ante Milicic, he was playing as a bloody wingback. So, you know, he was playing literally all over the place. But seeing him take up that role and do something different, I thought he actually did okay. Um, the interesting thing is, I think... If MacArthur, Joey, I know that you're probably going to touch on this and I sort of, you know, think this is a good point to sort of touch on because we actually saw it in the game. But Danny De Silva op, uh, playing in that role, Joey. Um, now, playing as a six, because he actually... There, there I is shouldn't have let there. Nick go because he's stolen my no, 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 no. But um, I was just going to say, like, I, I think it could work if... It, 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 it's, it's a risky move playing someone with that profile as a six because... You need to be a team that, one, is going to have large volumes of possession and actually mm. thrives with having the ball at feet. And if MacArthur surround him with guys like having Davila fit and Azani and Noon and whatever else you can do and go full source, maybe it could work. But I don't know if MacArthur's the team that, when you look defensively and everywhere else, to have the profile to play with, you know, someone like the, Zil the Silver occupying that space. It reminds me a bit of, you know, to, to sort of take it back to something we've seen more recently is looking at a team like Maurizio Sardi ball, um, how Roberto Mancini plays with Jorginho, someone who is not a great mm. defender, but someone who sort of sits, sprays balls out wide. He plays as that metronome. Dane De Silva could do something like that, but it relies again, high pressing, winning the ball yeah. up high because you do lose that defensively. If a team gets through the first press, you're in, you're in the, you're in the shit, putting it bluntly. Yeah. Like you're going to be up against it. Um, do, so just on De Silva, did York explain why he's kind of playing him there? Because, you know, first of all, as Josh Parrish pointed out, it's pretty funny that York didn't even know that Danny De Silva was Australian, seemed to be revealed to him uh, recently. And, you know, he's yeah. playing him in a different position. So how much he knew about him before it, uh, this thing. But I don't mind him in that position. I quite like him. there. It, it was explained by York after the game that it was just sort of, we need to stick someone there. So I'm going to stick to silver mm. there. And it wasn't ideal. And I don't want to do it moving forward. It was more so, a case of injury crisis, illness crisis, and 
like he just stuck De Silva there because he writes him and he needed someone so he, to do a job. Uh, he hasn't identified that Danny De Silva, you know, in the same way that Josh no, Parrish ide- identified yeah. that George Blackwood should play centre back, that Danny De Silva should be a centre midfielder, number six. No, he, uh, Danny De Silva Regista is not something that uh, Dwight York has decided upon quite yet. That's a shame. Um, I actually think that's a shame. I I, I like yeah. the revolution of Danny De Silva as a Regista. It's, I it's been, the, be... the kid. The bloke is twenty five. Like it, 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 like I, I know we have this conversation every season. And I mean, next season we'll be saying, "Jesus Christ, did you know Danny Silva was only twenty six years old? It feels like he's been around forever." Yeah, yeah. yeah. But mm. the guy is twenty five years old. It just feels remarkable, just how long he's just been around, and we've been talking about him and. Maybe this, you know, he's he's supposed to be, if he's 25, he's probably just only beginning to enter his physical prime. Mm. So who knows what just sort of player he could be. It's it's amazing because in three months, it's eight years to the date since he was selected in the bloody uh, extended squad for the Asian Cup for 2015. That was his only technical call up, if that really counts, to be part of a Socceroos camp. And that was when he was what? He would have been about 16 or 17 years old, which is quite remarkable. Um, But sort of bringing it back to the game, I think that um, looking at from now from a Western United point of view, they they certainly were better than what they were in the first two games. The bar was set quite low. They, They came out with energy, you know, Lockie Wales particularly sort of, you know, got things moving with his just high octane running, putting the pressure on and really worked hard all game and he got a deserved goal as a result. But, Again, they are still really missing Alexander Prijevic. And I've said this every, like almost every single week that this team is not going to function at its full capacity until they have him up top um, and have someone like, whether it's Wenzel Halls or Milanovic, in my opinion, as the player playing alongside him. Um, I think, you know, with someone like Troisi and Diamante and their skill set, it sort of acts as a bit of a handbrake at times. And I think having someone like Milanovic who's a bit more, you know, energetic, has got those bursts, or if you're going to play Dylan Piraeus, or if you're going to play um, Dylan Wenzel Halls off the shoulder of Priyavich, it can work quite well. I'm not too sure how I feel about, you know, the Troisi-Diamante combination with the striker up front. Um, I know that it was good to see Diamante back, but it's going to take time to see whether, you know, he can, or not whether, but what he actually can do coming off a serious knee injury, being another year older, what his role in this team is going to be. I think that's one thing to certainly keep an eye on. Like, what do Western United expect out of Diamante this season? Do they expect him to be a starter? Do they expect him to be a role player? What's the go with that? Um, because they're, they're, they're stacked with depth in that position. Um, and just one more uh, point from me on this game. Josh Risden continues to be seriously underrated in, in all fullback discussions when it comes to Socceroos. In my opinion, if he isn't the best... He's up there as one of the best two-way fullbacks in this competition um, for what he does defensively. He was brilliant against Daniel Arzani, but getting forward, he set up the goal. He probably could have had another assist for, I think he actually put that cross into Dylan Wenzel Halls that forced a good save from Kurto. I think he seriously goes, you know, goes just slides a little bit under the radar. And we, and we do forget, you know, 2018, he was starting against France and he did, didn't disgrace himself against Kylian Mbappe of all players. There is a player there. He's just had injuries. He's had a bit of inconsistency. I honestly think if he doesn't go to the World Cup, which I think it's a very small chance he gets on the plane, the Asian Cup, I reckon he could be right back in the frame. Even though you've got Karacic playing over there, Ryan Strain, Nate Nate Atkinson, his performances 
I think he's doing all he can and he's setting the bar right there, I think, at least from an A-League standpoint of getting there. And I, I think he did a really good job. The problem with that is he'll be 31 years old at the Asian Cup. and he's not that. That's not that old, Joey. 31, yeah, is, but that is... Ostensibly, the a new coach coming in for a four-year cycle... Like this is this this is a Socceroos squad that's in need of a generational shift. We've already seen it beginning, you know, moving on, and it's sort of and it's that sort of. I sort of think that the he needs to make the World Cup if he wants. Like this is just me reading the tea leaves. This isn't me casting any aspersions sure. over his talent. And my concern is, and I've written this for a piece that should be in ESPN tomorrow. That it like he played really well against. Um, MacArthur, my concern is that it might not have mattered because Graham Arnold had to, on the Tuesday last week, had to submit a 55-player roster to FIFA from which he will draw his 26 players for the World Cup next month. Now, when you're looking at that, it's it's 55-player squad, so you can have depth there, but how many right backs are you going to devote to, you know, how many slots in that 55 player list are you going to devote to the right back position? And then when you consider that it's highly likely that Nathaniel Atkinson is on there, Frank Karinczyk is on there, Ryan Strain is on there. Arnold has clearly shown throughout his tenure. I mean, he was the one that sort of, there's been injuries, but he sort of moved Risden on and brought Ryan Grant into the system. You would expect Ryan Grant would be on there as well and Tommy Deng is highly likely to be on there as well we don't know Arnold's not revealing it to anybody or um but you'd expect that Tommy Deng who can play center back and right back is on there as well so you know with Ryan Strat you know so you've got Atkinson, Karajic, Strain, Grant, Deng it's five right backs on the list of 55 does Arnold add a sixth in the form of Riston you'd like to, to hope play You'd like to hope that he does, but when you consider the amount of central midfielders that he needs to, you know, try to pass through, the amount of wingers that he needs to try to pass through, because he still wouldn't know if he's bringing Kual or Arzani or Cummings or Goodwin or any of these types. So they all need to be on the list. 100% fit, by the way. So they all need to be on the list as well. So it's not just a matter of do you carry six right backs on the list because you should. It's can you afford to carry six right backs on the list when you've got to carry so many people in other positions because you're just not sure. So that would have been my concern coming out of this game. To play devil's advocate, though, about Tommy Deng, he might be down as a centre-back. Yeah. So No, but he would be down as a centre-back, but you don't list – but he's also a right-back, so you don't need to list the fifth right-back because he can play right-back. It's like sort of like – yeah, Goodwin can play left back. So you so rather than list four left backs, you only list three. But you know that Goodwin can play left back, so he's yeah. your fourth. But but at the end of the day, if he's in form, he's in form. He's been in form since. I mean, he had a great season last year before he got injured, and he came back in the finals and was key for their championship. And he didn't, like he, the, he didn't get called up to the. It didn't get called up to the New Zealand series. Sure, but from what John Aloisi told us in the press conference in midweek is that Graham Arnold has had conversations with players or has had conversations with him about certain players and Josh Riston was one of them. Riston said last week to Anna Harrington of AOP that he hasn't spoken with Arnold. Well, he's apparently spoken Aloisi. So I, I don't know. That's we're, we're getting two different sides here. But either way, I think that he, could, he, should, he should, in my view, 
both him and his left not... partner, and I've, I've said this, no, 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 no. I'm saying both of them, in my opinion, should be on that 55 because they have done everything from what they can do, I think, to be on that 55-man list. And I think Risden didn't do himself any harm. And I think if he's not in it, I think it just goes to, it just proves my point. He's probably one of the most underrated players in the league. So I think that, you know, going forward, and when you're looking at it from a, you know, going forward, we spoke at the Asian Cup, the same time it is a generational shift, but the expectation is to win the Asian Cup. So you're going to pick your best players at the same time. And if Risden is playing well enough, he's going to go. And it might not be Graham Arnold who's making that decision. It could be somebody else. Look, we're going to get on to the Socceroos stuff later, so we'll get into that. Uh, we'll answer questions like Blake Hampton's, what was the thinking by not making the list of the 55 public? We'll get into that later. Um, but, uh, look, it can't be avoided because it was so plainly obvious to everyone who watched uh, on Friday night, everyone who was in attendance, the crowd issue. Uh, this was billed by Run The Memes as El Emptico. Uh, I think there was a crowd of three thousand uh around that whatever a lot of empty stadiums a lot of seagulls um you know what do you guys you guys are in melbourne you guys have been following this team i made the point that this team's in their fourth season and they've played one game in western melbourne does not seem an ideal strategy for a team that was meant to be from Western. I understand Western United and they're, they're Ballarat and they're Geelong and they're, they're West of the bridge or whatever. But ultimately, you know, usually you think, okay, well, on-field success will lead to crowds coming in. They had a great season last season. Even the grand final, they seem to have a decent crowd and a decent turnout. I felt like I saw a lot of people who seem to be Western United fans. You know, maybe you guys can give context. Was the weather terrible? So on and so forth. Oh, there's always there's always context, Nick Stoll. Not just for Western United. There's always context for everything. It, you don't you don't like to kick people when you down when they're down because there's a lot of good people at their club. And unfortunately, I mean, I feel like I'm saying I'm repeating things that I said last year, but they ring true. A lot of the people at that club weren't there when a lot of the promises surrounding Western United were made. And they're trying to just, for lack of a better word, push shit uphill um, in this scenario. They weren't there when the stadium within three um, years promise was made and all those sort of things. But it is, it, it has to, if if you're like, I know people say, oh, don't, don't focus on it. Don't, you know, they're building a crowd, they're building a stadium, it, it get better. You can't bury your head in the sand like an ostrich, like, they're the defending champions playing the reigning Australian Cup holders in a scenario like this. And I, people will have seen the pictures circulating of the crowd. We've got the what was announced as the crowd um, on the screen in front of us, 2,423. People have seen the pictures. They can watch the broadcast and make up their own minds. It's, it's a problem. I think, and it's but it's not just a problem for Western United. It's a problem for the A Leagues. It's a problem for the APL that needs a concerted effort to fix, and a and a and a United, for lack of a better word, effort to fix because it's obvious at this point that something needs to change. Like the, the a lot of the, probably the plans that had coming in you know, massively growing area out west, all of this sort of stuff, 
probably got blown up by COVID. Like immigration fell off a cliff, urban expansion fell off a cliff. All of these sort of things will have blown a lot of holes in their strategy. Hi, Freya, as Nick Stoll looks off screen. Um, but so we need to figure out if the APL and the A-Leagues and Western United are going to figure this out, there needs to be a reassessment. All right, what are we going to do? How are we going to bring in these crowds? Because we keep hearing that, I'm trying to be fair here, and I don't, like I said, I don't want to keep people down, but we keep hearing about they're a new club, the crowds will grow, but what, what trajectory are they growing at? And is the level that they're growing at sustainable? I think that has to be the concern because like on the fields, like they've won a champion, they won a championship in their third season. They've, they're bringing in um, an A-League women's program that they're seriously investing in. They've just signed a World Cup winner with the US women's national team to their A-League women's team and they're bringing in Chloe Legazzo. On the field, they're doing a ton of stuff right. It's just... Playing at Amy Park's not ideal. Their crowds don't look good at Amy Park, and that creates a vicious cycle where it doesn't look like a cool, fun place to be, so people don't come, and the crowds are bad. So it doesn't look like a fun place to be, so people don't come, and the crowds are bad. But, again, it's also a critical lack of infrastructure in Melbourne. Where do you play them? Ideally, they could have been playing at Melbourne Knights. That hasn't happened. No, nothing definitive on the record from any party has ever been said about why that hasn't happened, so I'm not going to speculate, but it's not happened there. They played one game at Wittenoval. Doesn't seem like that's an option going forward. So they're in this weird sort of holding pattern that isn't ideal for anybody. And it, it's uh, it's difficult because you have to approach these things with different mindsets. Like, if you're approaching this, like in some, like there's the whole survival of the fittest aspect, but if you're trying to see this the way that the APL and the A-Leagues and Western United are looking at this, how do you salvage it? And I don't really know how. All I know is that it needs to be a concerted effort from multiple parties now because right now it's not working. And I, like you say, the people on the pitch – People, you know, coach, they're doing their job. They are winning games. They're like, winning championships. Uh, I mean, I know they have had a bad start to this season, but it is kind of beyond the, you know, the traditional thing of, oh, well, when they start winning, it will be good. Like, that's not happening. One thing I kind of want to know from you guys being uh, from Melbourne, there was a lot of talk of, <clears throat> oh, you know, they should never have gone to Western Melbourne and da da da. You know, we didn't need a third team in Melbourne or da da. Do you guys think that because sometimes I th- like I I have no problem with the third team being in Melbourne. Yeah. I have a, no problem with a team being mm. in Macarthur, for example, either. I just think that for many reasons, strategically, there have been mistakes made, whether it's been by the league or the you know whoever made that decision, or by the people implementing these clubs. And then there has been the unfortunate nature of COVID and all the effects that has had, but. Is there appetite for a team in Western Melbourne? Melbourne can, like people say, we didn't need a third team. Like Melbourne has the population to support more than three teams. Done right, Melbourne can support four or five teams. Yeah, Sydney can support five or six teams. Adelaide can support probably, you know, two or three. Brisbane 
support two or three if they're done right. Like, the, like that. That's the thing. And doing them right means playing them in suitable venues, so that you know if they are only getting six, seven thousand, it's in a suitable size venue and it looks and sounds great, and the club is sustainable. All of that sort of stuff. Like, so like I don't have a. <laughs> As much as I have a problem with A-League expansion on a base theoretical level in that it's expansion rather than promotion and relegation and sporting merit and all of that sort of stuff, but looking at it through a bean counter's eyes, I don't have a problem with it being in Melbourne or anything like that. Melbourne can sustain it if it's done right. Just the question has to be the people right now there who are trying their hardest, mm. there have been decisions at that club in the past circumstances beyond their control such as the pandemic have dealt them a really bad hand and it's just not going the way they want right now and it needs to be sorted by it it needs to be figured out because it's it's like we're not going to talk i'm not going to talk about this every week but like home opener home opener against sydney and then this game against macarthur like this is outside of derbies this is sort of what it's going to be like for the season unless something miraculously changes, which is an ideal. So when Western Sydney came to the competition, there is, being from Sydney, I can tell you, there is a, a, a cultural and identifiable divide between Western Sydney and Eastern Sydney. And Western Sydney has an identity and and people do gravitate to that. Is that the same case with Western Melbourne? Is that ever going to be is can basically Western United unite Western Melbourne and you know let's say like ideally let's the, the stadium gets built are the fans going to go if the stadium gets built there? Or is that just too hard to say? It's difficult to say right now because like if I was to ask you Nick Stoll right now, what is Western United's identity? What would you say? I would say that they are a good on-field football team that basically, you know, I've compared them to a traveling kind of circus. They've just gone, well, we're here in Ballarat. We're here in Geelong. We're here. Like they don't, I don't even, I wouldn't even be able to put them on a map. Do you know what I mean? If I was to ask you, what are the values of Western football club? No idea. What, like what's, what spirit do they represent? What people? Uh, broadcast <laughs> induced expansion. <laughs> so that's like one of those things. It's like these, like they can turn it around, but it just needs to come with finding an identity that is authentic, that is driven by the people that they are trying to bring in. That And the identity is more than the stadium, I think. Mm-hmm. The stadium is obviously the 50 put elephant in the room in all these discussions is it getting built when is it getting built how is that coming along but people don't go to football go to football games because they have a brand new stadium they go to football games to be entertained and because of the culture and because of the experience of being in the stands i will say i just went to the new sydney football stadium today it's awesome i I, i'll go there i'll go there to continue supporting the stadium Uh, (laughs) yeah no i i totally agree and i i just like I, I really don't want to kick Western United when they're yeah, down on this sort of stuff. Oh. I want to be constructive. But, but look, like as we have said multiple times before, hope is not a strategy. We can't just hope that this team will 
you know, we hoped that the fact that they had on-field success would lead to, ah, now the fans are going to come. Now it's all going to be good. But it's not enough. It is not enough. And that is why we are where we are. But uh, maybe we should move on um, to the next game. Because as you say, it's not a problem that is recent and it's not a problem that's going to probably get fixed anytime soon. And it's not solely a Western United problem. It's a league problem. And it needs to be a league solution. If they're going to be a closed shot, it's all their problems. Um, here's something that I really, really enjoy. Newcastle 3, Wellington 1. The box office beats the Philip Rollo back Nick. So two questions here, guys. One, how impressed with you were with Newcastle? Because, you know, I thought, especially in patches, they were moving the ball beautifully. Their chance creation was fantastic. It was brilliant. Secondly, can you believe that Philip Rollo, friend of the pod, love Phil, came on this show and was like, these teams are sneaky good. You guys are lazy putting them out of your top six. They're going to, you know, how dare you just say that they're going to finish ninth. Phil, mate, this team is going to finish ninth. I can, it's in the stars now. I think every time that they are ninth, I'm just going to love it. It's, it's, you know, prove me wrong, Wellington Phoenix, but wow, it's funny how they've started this thing. But uh, Nick DeBano, go. Jets, what are your thoughts? Mm. Uh, they looked really, really silky in the attacking half, even without Mikkel Tadze. Okay. I don't mind the false nine. I don't mind the false nine, guys. I am almost sold on the false nine, even though Mikkel Tadze will take him to another level. I think it's a great little uh, weapon to have up their sleeve because when you have two guys like Bahadur and Satirio who are just, you know, running all day and, you know, basically just, you know, flat line runners looking to get in behind, everything like that. If you've got players like Dartsmelli and Piscopo um, sort of evacuating that space, you know, you can get them in behind. You can sort of create that space for them. And it worked really well. I mean, we saw with the goals, even the disallowed goal with Satirio as well. But that's Malia, guys. I've got to say. Buyer. Double yeah. Becker bus. The double Becker yeah. bus is coming to a stadium near you, baby. Get on board. I know. Like, their box office in two ways now. Not just the way they play. It's the goals they score as well, fellas. Jeez. Like, like, very, very nice. I mean, it's a good point you make about uh, Bukhaj and Satirio kind of – when they were signed, and Bukhaj and Satirio are two of the most, I think, criticized players probably by this pod and also by, like, wider A-League. Like, between them, those two have been through on goal that many times and squandered chance after chance. But it does seem like Arthur Pappas – when he signed him, I was a bit like, mm, you know, what's he doing there? That's a kind of a strange signing it does seem like he's he's using them to their strengths and, and really getting the best out of them. And I'm impressed. I actually, you know, you don't want to go too early. You can overreact after three games, but I really like the Jets. I think they're going to be top four. Well, it's only two games. I mean... It's true. They look... You need to temper this somewhat. They, they, they looked great. They looked silky in the first half. Mm. In the second half, they really eased off. They only had two shots in the second half. Neither of them were on target. Um, and the Knicks really came at them. Now, I never felt like they were in any danger of losing the game. But you do also, I think, I think they're also a different team as well. We're talking about Soterio and Bahaja here. Last season, the the Jets wanted the ball more than anybody else in the competition. They love to have it. They knocked the ball around. Daniel Pena was in there, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, through their first two games this season, I, you, you have to make the obvious disclaimers about sample sizes and all of those sort of things. They're averaging 46% of the ball. 
Um, so maybe that's their ticket to finals, you know, the ultimate tourism. If you want to win games in the A-League, have less possession. Um, but it, it does feel, uh, through the first two games, they're a bit of a different Jet sides as well. Obviously, Bohaja and Soterio, transition merchants, their third goal against the Knicks, one of the most obvious signs of that. It was pretty much just Mike Weir clears it out, bang, bang, bang in transition, they get the third goal. So I'm... I, I, I think the Jets are still going to be good because you know, Arthur Pappas can coach well. But it, I am I am intrigued to see their ongoing evolution about why they are successful and why they keep winning games. Because, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And bear in mind also, it took them a last second goal to beat Perth Glory. Well, um, they didn't play well, by the way. They didn't play well. They didn't play well, they didn't play well at all. Mm, Beckham and they Bit yeah. of class. They they didn't um, actually deserve that win. Uh, yeah, obviously so. deserved the win against the Knicks. But as um, Philip Rollo has yes. appeared in our comments saying, yes. the Knicks do always start slowly. Um, so right. you yeah. know what? I'd love if we start a rivalry with Rollo. All right, that would that would be one of the great moments. <laughs> the Rollo rivalry. The Rollo. I'm, look- I'm very I'm very interested to see what the Jets do next week against a Western Sydney Wanderers side that's going to sit in a low block. To mm. they they're not going to want the ball. Um, yeah. how do the Jets play through a low block without Pena? Can you play through a low block with Trent Bahadur and Joshua Soterio going zoom, zoom, zoom? Yeah, but do they even start in those games? Again, well, it's the thing. How do they adjust? Yeah. I, I would miss Bryce those guys. back. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah. Lazar 11 says, game of two halves. Blake Hampton 11 points out, first half better than second half. Um, Acid Rain 451 says, Buhaja absolutely murdered a 1v1 in a way only he can. He shouldn't escape criticism for that. Yeah, That was early Buha- in the second half. Yeah, Buhaja, he's interesting. He's one of those players. He kinda, he's like the exact opposite of uh, Ronaldo Phenomeno, who when he was one-on-one with the keeper, it was just like, this is over. He's going to go around him. Easy goal. Bahaja is one-on-one with the keeper. You're like, well, what's going to happen here? And you're never going to go, <laughs> what's going to happen here? It's going to stick in the top corner. Um, but uh, yeah. And it, what do we think? Do we think, uh, are we confident? Uh, we taking any kind of permanent conclusions out of this? I mean, it's not really. It's still only round. Yeah, it's very early in the season. Oh, it's round three, I mean, week two for the Jets. Yeah, I, I mean, for, for Wellington, I mean, as um as Phil said, they're slow starters. So, I mean, I'm not selling my st- Wellington stocks just yet. I mean, they've still got guys like Ugarkovic and who's, you know, doing a brilliant, brilliant stuff over there since he's gone over. And it was good to see uh, Bojidar Krajev uh, break his... Um, or get the score his first A-League men's goal. It was a very nice hit as well, just just quietly. Um, you know, there was such high raps on him coming down to the A-League, and he scored a, a, a brilliant goal. So curious to see if he can kick on from there and see what he can do. But, um, yeah, it is a bit disappointing they haven't taken more from these first three games, particularly having their first two games at home um, against beatable opposition. Um, so yeah, we'll see how they bounce back next week against Melbourne City. That's going to be a um a, a real test for them because we're talking about teams that are on a bounce right now, and we'll we'll get to City later. Like they're going to be coming up, coming right up against it. So that's going to be mm. a really fascinating watch. All right, Western Sydney Wanderers one, Brisbane one. Um, kind of the big takeaway from no, this just, game was this. Yep, didn't watch it. Was filing on the Jets versus <laughs> was filing on the Jets versus Knicks game. So did, take it away, boys. 
All right, well, but did you see the issue with the free kick and the controversy surrounding it? Yeah, I did. I did. All right, Dubano, you can take us through it. I went to Costco this morning with my girlfriend. That's what I did. Oh, good on you, Joey. Thanks, mate. (laughs) Um, Anyways, um, on on the... Okay. Look, I I actually had to read um, Adrian Warren's article in AAP about it because, honestly, I, I had, when I first saw it, I'm like, what? Like, yeah, why has this, this been disallowed? But apparently it's a rule like you have to stand a few metres away from the wall if they've got three or more players on the Nonsense wall. Nonsense rule. Nonsense rule. So I don't like that. I really don't like that. And I don't blame Warren Mood for saying I had no bloody idea about this rule. And he said it was a stupid rule. I agree. I think it's yeah. a really, really dumb rule. Um, you know, it's good to see Brisbane show some fight. Um, mm. You know, go down a goal, come back, and, and at least get something from the game. Charlie Austin breaking the drought. Great to see him yep. get that goal after. <laughs> you know, I mean, Cotter Chapman told him to score. He scored, guys. Like, he, he finally he, he got his goal. Um, and you John think that Oles. inspired him? Do you think he thought, yeah, man, I, I look was... like a dick if I don't, if I, I've just torn this guy to shreds. I need to score in my next game. It was you know, it was great. Um, when I was at the Derby yesterday in the box next to us, they had the broadcast start from the Wanderers Brisbane game. So I was like sort of peering in and, and watching it, um, before the game started. And Austin was sitting in the rooms after the game, just, you know, drinking his Gatorade or whatever else. And Connor Chapman stole. You think you're, you know, the, the man with the sh- going shirtless all the time. This guy, again, <laughs> he comes across the screen again in his shorts, top off, shakes hands with Charlie Austin. They probably knew the cameras were on. Like, of course, get the big moment yep. up on um on TV. Um, That was a, a nice little sidebar. But, um, yeah, I, I think the, the other positive for Brisbane, as much as, you know, they weren't great, is Joe Knowles. I mean, he got an assist. He probably should have scored as well. Um, from an MPL Victoria standpoint, I love to see it. I love to see it that, you know, he's taken this this leap. A um, bit quiet in the first two games, but very impressive a- against the Wanderers. And the Wanderers, I mean, scored a goal in the most Wanderers way you would expect. A long ball over the top from Marcelo and Kerpich was able to round the keeper and score. Um, but other than that, I mean, honking game. 16 so- shots combined. Barely anything, 1-1 one, one probably is fair enough at the end of the day. A couple of things I kind of want to touch on. One, uh, I did like that uh, the Brisbane Royal players uh, paid tribute to their former teammate, uh, Masato Kudo, who died uh, recently, quite suddenly uh, after like a brain surgery. I'm not, I'm kind of not really sure on the, the details, but I thought it was good that they uh, paid tribute to him. Apparently, um, Brisbane Royals, their fans, a banner was stolen, that, you know, that they mm. were going to, um, pay tribute to them. So I think that's just disgraceful. You know, like I, I absolutely I don't mind the the banner stealing to be honest between you know active fans and stuff to me it's part of the drama but you know have a bit of class like come on I think it's with a, that a really with good that thing. sort of context yeah with that yeah, exactly. banner like that's just that's awful. Yeah I mean I mean awful. at least have a look at it and be like oh, sorry I didn't realize something. So look uh that was a good I'll we'll get onto the A legal access areas thing because I think it's an interesting conversation to have but with the Wanderers, I noticed that uh, Marco Rudin talked about, like, and he's talked about it a few times now, we want to, you know, be the team of Western Sydney and we want to, you know, it's really important to get the crowd back and engage them. And he, he's talked about it multiple times. And I think after the win that they had against Victory, he talked specifically about we need to get our crowd back and da da da. And I agree. And, and look, the league has never been better when the Wanderers, you know, were, were selling out stadiums on the reg. But is part of the fact that they're not a great, 
team to watch. Like, you know, they're getting decent results. And I wonder if the Devil's advocate here. Yeah, go on. Devil's advocate here. So I think it was the biggest crowd they've had for a non-Derby game since I think it was December. It was either 19 or 20. I forgot. I saw the stat today. So there was a slight uptick. It wasn't 10,000, but it was a slight uptick because they won two games. Yeah. I think... If Hopefully they win games, Stoll. So yeah. if they win games, I think fans at the end of the day will catch wind of that because remember the style of football they played under the guy that got them yeah. to be good at the That's start. True. It's not too dissimilar. But it was it was the start of like it was sure, early sure. on. So there was a little bit of more of a, I think, an acceptance of, you know, we can play like crap, but because we've just started and basically we've pulled players from all the other kind of the teams have rejected them. Um, they pulled players all together. So it was interesting. Uh, Jack Pantelios says, uh, Krippich is terrible, but has two in three. So, you know, Marco Rudan will keep him up top and keep Yangi stranded on the touchline. Joey, please hit the something can't keep getting away with the meme. Give me one sec. Give me one sec. There it is. You can't keep getting away with it. He can't keep getting away with it. He won't. Um, so a lot of people making the point in the comments, uh, that like you said, this football is very similar to Popovich's, uh, thing, but, um, Hirata makes the point, uh, Ono was balling though. Yeah. They, they lack an Ono. They really lack someone who can kind they, of, yeah, sure. Give sure. that moment. But I mean, you're not, yeah, I know, I know. I'm just to play devil's advocate about yeah, Yengi. No, no. Yengi, just, just strand the, the yeah. comment of Jack, just in response to being being stranded on the touchline. I actually, I actually don't mind him on the left. I, I know it might be a bit of a, I know he could, he could definitely be used a bit more centrally and could be a lot more damaging in, in front of goal. But I actually think there's something there on the left. Um, I don't mind the physical player that can take on players and get in behind with their pace like that. You know, physically, there aren't many players that can go toe-to-toe with him, whether he's playing out wide or through the middle. So I don't, I don't mind it. But um, as Geraldo also said here, they do need Ram- more Rami Nazarene. So if it does mean that they can get Rami Nazarene into the, the lineup by shifting Yangi centrally, I think that they could prote- that, that could be something. But something tells me that they're quite stuck with, you know, or in their ways of going, all right, Ninkovic is the 10, Yangi's on the left, Brandon Borello's on the right. I think Nazarene's going to be up against it. And if they keep getting results, I don't see this 11 changing too much. In fact, I think I saw a comment a little bit earlier. They do kind of remind me in the way that they're winning, of course, by the 1-0 scorelines, a little bit of what Western United were doing early last season. 11 didn't change much. They got the wins. They were solid defensively. They got those results, what they needed. And it wasn't necessarily the most attractive brand of football, but they were getting points on the board and the lineup didn't change too much if they didn't have to. So mm. there's a few players on the periphery. I mean, we haven't seen Oliver Bazanik yet. He still hasn't been returned. We were promised his return, but that's been delayed and delayed and delayed. I mean, um, it's not easy to come out of the UFO, you know. <laughs> it takes yeah, they got the... the they got the new signing, uh, Yeni uh, Ngabakoto. I think I'm saying that correctly. If I haven't, no worries. And of course, as well, as we mentioned, we've got Rami Nazarene on the bench. And look, you know what? It'll be interesting to see if that changes as the season goes on. But yeah, I, I don't see this 11 changing too much if they're going to keep getting results. So it'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Look, maybe it's not a surprise, and it's only three games in, but Ninkovic 
hasn't exactly set the world on fire for, for all the controversy. No. And, and maybe, look, maybe we weren't surprised. He was kind of washed at Sydney the last season. Um, but I, I would have thought Western Sydney would have been hoping uh, for more. I wanted to get your thoughts on the access all areas A-League thing because it was focused on uh, Brisbane Raw this week. We saw the first episode was on Nani. I really liked that. Fly on the wall style. I thought it was really cool. Sometimes you do a really good first episode and then it's the second episode where we see if it's actually, you know, if this thing has legs. But people seem to really, really like it. So, Joey, what was I... your... Oh, yeah, go, Nick. You go first. And no, then no, Joey no, no, Joey, 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 you go, you go. I haven't watched either of them yet. What? How, man, how busy are you? Uh, Costco, I got this on. Da, da, da. Right. Well, no, no, it's, it's not like... A, like pretty much every waking hour of my days is spent covering this damn thing when I have a bit of time to relax. Maybe I want to do something else. I will watch them at some point, like when I have some time off on the plane to Qatar or something, but I just haven't had time to watch them yet. La-di-da, I'm going to Qatar. (laughs) Um, Well, Um, yeah, Dabana, give me your thoughts uh, in the comments. Uh, Alan Riley says, very, very good. Yeah. I, I've really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the second episode more than the first, if I'm being brutally honest. I, I, I enjoyed the Narnia episode, but I really liked the Charlie Austin episode. Um, Why? It was very, you know what? It was very grounded as well in the sense of, you know, you got to know him on a different level and you understood his relationship with his his wife and the hardship they've gone through. You got a bit of a guise into Ch- what who Charlie Austin is as a person, seeing his gravity around the rooms and everything. And it was very raw. I mean, real fly on the wall stuff. I think even more fly on the wall than the victory one. And especially with the blow up with Connor Chapman. I mean, we don't see it often in sport that, that there are blow ups all the time, but we just don't see them. I mean, it was like the other week, if we're using a different sport, when Draymond Green and Jordan Poole had a bust up at training and everyone was losing their absolute mind. There were NBA players coming and saying, yeah, that happens every day. Someone always gets into a fight on the training court. It just happens. But we don't see any of the, you know, the the conversations in the rooms because it's so closed off. We don't see the tactical conversations that happen. We only see uh, video maybe of, you know, a bit of a team talk or players just sitting around getting a message from someone. But we don't see those interactions where you might have two players in a dynamic like that, a team that is struggling, mind you, almost into a sense in that in that moment that sense of implosion that sense of like oh my god like this team is on the rock so this team is panicking you know we've made mistakes in defense we're feeling it and you can see the backwards and forwards and then you know seeing how warren moon reacts in that situation how the other players react in that situation i found it hilarious watching the other players just sitting there um you know literally like when you're at a friend's place and they're arguing with their parents and you're sitting there you know just having to play it cool and like yep all right, no worries. Like, this will be over soon. You just need to sit there and, and, and watch it and just watch it unfold. Mm. I mean, it was great. I yeah. thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to see more of it. I am mm. intrigued to see what the Paddy Kisnobo one is this week. Um, they were filming it, a bit of it yesterday as well. Um, so we might have some, maybe some audio of, uh, of some TNC uh, people like myself and Joey maybe <laughs> asking questions. I don't know what's going to be in it. They were filming. Uh, all I know is that Joey said a second the cameras came in. Guys, make sure you're looking good. Um, and yeah, so well, you know okay, what? just was, that. see, I, I had to warn them to make sure they look good. I always look good, so I didn't need to worry about it. it just, that's true. Right, that's right, true. Right, 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 it's right. a safe. Right. Fred Durst regen. Um, but just on that, so 
<laughs> no, 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 no. no. Uh, talk, talk me through your reasoning on that, Nick. Because I'm not wearing a red hat. How else do I look like Fred Durst? Explain the joke. Man, it, it, leave me alone. All right. Second, second thing is <laughs> no, 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 no. Back up, back up your barbs. And, and people wonder why we go two hours and forty-five minutes. Yeah, exactly, man. First of <laughs> no, all, no, no, with those no, glasses don't, on, don't, you look like don't. that serial killer on Netflix. So you know, don't, don't tell me about. Also, <laughs> now it's Jeffrey Dahmer. Now it's Jeffrey Whatever. Dahmer. Jeez, it's Jeff, like all those Jeff, weird Jesus. people from the nineties. Um, oh look, my god! My question is this: before before you tell me to just defend, just defend. Uh, do you think like the cameras being there fly on the wall and da da da? How does that condition dressing room environments? Because, for example, if you take cameras into any workplace, people will act differently. I've been working in the media a long time. I've seen, even if you like, everyone will say, just forget about the cameras, pretend they're not there. Like, um, Charlie Austin, when he walks into that dressing room and starts having a massive go at Connor Chapman. He knows the cameras are following him there. Like he's there is a conscious deci- decision there. Maybe he'll say, "Oh, I'm just blowing up." Da, da, da. I just think it's an it is an interesting thing, and I, and I think it's like I thought it was really entertaining. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that they released that footage because they could have edited it out. But how does that impact football teams and then impact them on the pitch? It will inevitably affect the dynamics of the dressing room because there will be a certain number of players probably such as Charlie Austin and that type of gregarious characters that will likely, it will, it will still be them, but their personality will get turned up to 11 because the cameras are on them. That's just the type of person they are. Charlie Austin is a phenomenal media performer. You know, he chats great shit, all of that sort of stuff. So when the cameras are on him, of course he's going to rise to the occasion and just turn his personality up. But it is also inevitable, like in whenever a, the more shy types, the more reserved types know that there's a camera around. It is inevitably going to condition the way that um, interactions are done, the conversations that are had. So that is always going to be a factor in these things. Like the, what's, you know, the Sydney All Access All Areas documentary, like the the board discussions that they've been having. So it's great that, you know, it's cool that they've allowed the camera into the boardroom discussion However, did anybody watch those boardroom segments of the Sydney documentary and think this is how Sydney's board meetings actually go? No. Yeah, it, no. it felt it felt like like it's it's transparency, but like manage stage managed yeah. transparency. Yes, exactly, right? Like, oh look, so, here, here's an inside look, but obviously everyone be on your best behavior. And <clears throat> I, I but also here's another question I have for you guys. So it's good stuff. We really like it, you know. A-League fans seem to respond really well. Just let me Does, say, I think, I think it's good that they're doing them as one-offs because inevitably yeah. they'll just be in there for once, yeah. the cameras will piss off and everything will get back to normal. When they're in there for an extended period of time, that's when it, these documentary things maybe do actually start to have a tangible effect on what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, to be honest, probably one or two things happens. Either everybody adjusts or they... And it, they sort of mold into the background, or they completely shift the dynamics for a season, and who knows what will eventuate then. Well, and so two questions actually I want to ask you, but the first question I want to get onto is what is the purpose of these documentaries? Like, we like them, they're kind of at the moment feeling like they're preaching to the converted. Do we think that it's going to A, increase, you know, ticket sales? 
Paramount Plus subscriptions? Like, is it going to be, are we going to see a tangible difference or is it just some cool stuff that if you, if you do, this is one of many little steps that get you closer to where we want the league to be. Yeah, it's two prompt. One, it's the drive to survive theory. Mm. If if you do this right and it catches lightning in a bottle, you yeah. get the drive to survive effect for the A-League. So mm. it, you can justify it based on that um, perspective. Um, the second thing is speaking numerous times with Danny Townsend, this offseason, he has uh, floated around how one of the key priorities of the A-Leagues heading into this season was uh, creating content and targeting content at the core consumer of the mm. A-Leagues, the f- existing football fans and sort of taking a bottom-up approach to growing out, growing the, um, the audience of the A-Leagues, looking after the base, the foundation, your core consumer, uh, and then once they are fully invested and on board, growing it out from there. And that, so that's also where I see these coming in because obviously I'm yet to see anybody say anything bad about these documentaries or anything seriously bad about these documentaries that everybody seems to love them. So they are hitting that target of servicing the core um, this this is one of the things I hate about sport, how we just so easily mould modern sport, how we so easily just shift into business talk. But they are targeted at the core consumer that are engaging with the content, um, liking it, sharing it around with their friends and creating some level of emotional connection with the characters uh, yeah. of the competition and following the like. It's the same reason that fantasy is good because all of yeah. a sudden – you might not have had a reason to watch. You Perth care about, versus, yeah. yeah, Perth versus the Mariners before, but if Jason yeah. Cummings is your captain and you Sorry. need him to score a goal so you could beat Anna Harrington in your goddamn fantasy football matchup, you are watching that game. Yeah. Now maybe you watch one of these documentaries. You have no reason to watch Brisbane Raw exactly. versus Melbourne Victory before, but now you want to see Charlie Austin play. It it did actually make me more invested in the Chapman Austin relationship when he mm. scored i was looking at how was chapman gonna react you know when in celebrating with him like that it it did influence the way i was kind of looking out for this game so i look i think it's been good i think it's better than kind of maybe people expected and you know it's cool i think yeah. i think it is one a step in the right direction i think it helps like fantasy you know it doesn't solve the crowd issues at Western United, for example. But well, maybe maybe the Western maybe maybe the Western United episodes help them. We get to go behind the scenes at Western United. Yeah. We get to see some. Maybe maybe the Western United episode doesn't follow Aloisi or one of the players. Mm. Maybe we go behind the scenes at Western United and we see how they're trying to grow the club and the mm. work that they're putting in. Maybe we go behind the scenes of the women's team. And we see all the work that and the investment that they're making in the women's team. That was and these the best players part of the Sydney FC the Sydney documentary. Yeah, it was so, the W League part. Yeah, um, it's A Women's. Yeah, it's about it, it offers like the opportunity to sort of create emotional connections and mm. maybe myth bust. Because like, heck, I'm sure my previous rant, Western United, would probably disagree with that. Sunlight's the best disinfectant. Show us why we're wrong. Yeah, uh, who, John Turner says. Who said anything? Which, sorry, sorry, Stole. Who said anything about one episode when there's a whole documentary series that got commissioned last season for Western United? If that ever you know? sees a lot of day. If, yeah. yeah. So, you know, like there, there's more than just an A-League All Access that's been out that, that could be 
in the so, work. The, that there's a whole the thing that's been recorded. <laughs> the problem is, Nick, a Western United produced documentary will inevitably just carry an air yeah. of propaganda. Whereas the access all areas are absolutely propaganda, sure, sure. but they're one step removed from Western United. Um, John perceptions, says, not yeah, perceptions of propaganda. I wish we had one on Sturridge last season in Perth. Would have been very short episode, little little TikTok or something, a YouTube short maybe. Um, all right, let's move on uh, to kind of the big game of the round, uh, the Melbourne Derby victory, Neil City two. Um, City, three wins from three. Uh, victory, you know, started the season with a good win uh, against Sydney. Like, a bit, look, bit of a tough start, Sydney Wanderers City, but one win from three. What conclusions are you drawing now from this game? Just Mel- Melbourne City so are going to win the premiership. You're convinced? They've just got so much talent. Like... Mm. Bono, just... are you as convinced? Mm. Mm. Mate, it's, got... it's a long yeah, way it's to round go. Three. It's it's round it's a three. Long way to go. Ma, like just... you, I know teams teams peak early. Like I know they're probably going to be up there, but it's too early to say definitively. I reckon they they've just got like they've got Van der Ven coming off the bench. Tilio's on the bench. They've got Florin Berenier to come back. I mean, it's it's just be, they've just got. So much stuff. If you they've know, got what all I mean. the they've ingredients. Got, they've got need. all the ingredients. They've got so many good players. Mm. They've got so so much resources for their training bases and all of that sort of stuff. They've got. I mean, people talk about it's a salary cap league. They have access to CFG's incredible scouting network and their tendrils around the globe, so they can find out that. You know, they can find out that Van der Ven's available. They can find out that Valon Barisha is available on loan and bring them to the A-Leagues. They've just... This is a league that is sort of defined by clubs that, you know, you can... Not a lot of teams function in this league consistently. So it often just comes down to the bounce of the ball or talent levels. And City, City just have so much more talent than everybody mm-hmm. else. Like you can outcoach them absolutely. Victory absolutely ran rings around them in their last derby meeting last season when they won three nil. But over the course of a season, City just have so much going for them that their limitations aren't going to be exposed as much. I still have doubts about City. Like I still have doubts about City in terms of their ability to create from open play. Both of their goals against victory came from set-piece situations, penalty mm. and a corner routine. But they've just got so much talent. Um, Alan Riley says, my permanent conclusion from the game is that Geordie Boyce and Marco Tilio, que jugadores, City will add a Berenguer and Gamulka to that midfield with Barisha as well. Barisha, oof, like really looks like uh, an impressive performer uh, as we lose Nick Dubano. Joey, are you surprised that kind of... Barisha's level, and, and do you think he's kind of going to be like the Johnny Warren medalist, or is, is he an early candidate for Johnny Warren medalist? I mean, he, he could be a candidate for Johnny Warren medalist. I'll agree with Nick Cabano yeah. that it's been three rounds, so it's early to say that. But yeah. no, I'm not surprised about Valon Barisha's level. This is a bloke that's been playing in the top flight. In the past three years, he's played in the top flight of Italy, Germany, and France. His yeah. resume, with his resume, he absolutely should 
be, you know, ripping up the A-Leagues. And I'm sorry if it sounds Euro snobby, but the bloke was playing for Lazio and Fortuna yeah. Dusseldorf and Stad Rams. These are good clubs. He's played over 40 internationals in Europe for Norway and Kosovo. He absolutely should be playing well. I'm not surprised in the slightest. So I want your thoughts on, look again, early in the piece, Nani. Uh, he has three games in, you know, we saw a really nice assist in the game against Sydney, but, you know, he's done a lot of good off the field, I think, uh, you know, he's been really good kind of ambassador for the league, but what do you guys thought of his performance on the pitch? Nick DeBono? Can just to preface that, I mean, he didn't have the best game last night. Um, but how much was that influenced by what happened with the red card? and the game state to use a TNC TNCism. Um, and look in the first three games, he's been, I think, okay without being spectacular. And I, I, I was, I, I've kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit throughout the preseason of thinking, are we going to see Nani more akin to what we saw of him at Venezia towards the end of last season or him coming to a lesser league that he's going to be more like what we saw in the MLS where, you know, he had a really, really good run there. From these first three games, I mean, we saw a brilliant ball. We've seen flashes, but we haven't seen something that's been sort of, it's made us go, wow, like this guy's going to win the Johnny Warren medal this season just yet. I mean, he hasn't been that bad. He hasn't been, but he hasn't been like spectacular either. I'm not saying he's a, a bad signing. I actually think that he's going to get better as time goes on, but in the first three games, it just hasn't been probably the level that I think some victory fans and some maybe football fans expected. Mm. Um, what yesterday, about victory I mean, themselves? Because you know, I, I, they started the season I, with 3-2, yeah. and I was like, oh, I, I, this team looks I good. Just I need to quickly add something on Nani. Tony Popovich speaking ahead of the Melbourne Derby made reference to a heavily interrupted and disrupted month leading into the A-League men's season for Nanny. Uh, There wasn't anything concrete that came out before the season or as of late, but uh, Popovich has been consistently hinting with Nanny that maybe something... um, Like a little knock, a little little physical issue is holding him back. If Tony Popovich wants to come out and give some more clarity, that would be very much appreciated. But Popovich, Mm. especially ahead of the derby, hinted that he didn't play as much football. He's been saying he hasn't played as much football as he would have liked heading for a, a number of weeks now. But I think speaking to him ahead of the derby, he also inferred that he hadn't had as much time on the training track mm. um, in the month leading into the season as Nanny or the club would have liked. So that could also potentially be one of the reasons why he hasn't quite rips the league up as many people are expecting to. Not that I'm expecting him to rip the league up or saying that that should be taken as a fait accompli, but I just that is perhaps some context that we need to potentially keep in mind that these hints coming out of Melbourne victory. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, you know, there will be, he will grow as the season goes on, but there's one thing as well we've got to remember. As Lazar 11 said, he's 36 years old. It is a lot of burden to put on a 36 year old to say that, you know, it's going to win the game for you just like that. Mm. I think there's going to be games that we might see him managed. If he is dealing with some sort of physical ailment, I mean, with games piling up, 
They might look to, you know, they've got the depth now with guys like Falami and Nishan Valupale and Chris Economides and Leighton Brooks that sometimes they can say, hey, you know, we're just going to, you know, ease you off the bench today and you're going to play half an hour off the bench or, you know, we're going to give you a rest full stop. As for victory, as for victory about last night, I think that it's not panic stations yet. I've seen a lot of comments from some people on social media when you look, you know, through, through enough comments on Facebook that people are already basically uh, crapping the proverbial and are saying, you know, oh my God, we're in the mud. No. Victory started the game brilliantly yesterday. They came out of the blocks with energy and really they should have taken the lead. I mean, Josh Berlante literally just had to put the ball a little bit mm. more to the left, a little bit more to the right of Tom yeah, Glover. It's 1-0 to Melbourne victory. It's the yeah. perfect response after, you know, Nick D'Agostino said it in midweek. You know, they copped it from Tony Popovich after the Wanderers game. They came out looking to make a statement. And, you know, Konamidis looked good. You know, they were having some nice interplays going forward. And it looked like they were going to score. But the red card and the little burst, that little three-minute period mm. where City scored twice and the red card completely changed it. But to victory's credit... And i got to say this, a lot of teams when they're down 10, they go into their shells and they almost go into preservation mode, even if they're down. Victory mm. still kept coming. They were willing yeah. to lose 4, 5, 6 nil to potentially jag an equalize. And they probably should have jagged an equalizer, jag one back and potentially snatch a draw. They came very close to scoring. I mean, D'Agostino probably should have done better with his chance. They had a penalty shout not go their way. I mean... They weren't that bad. I don't think it's panic stations just yet for Melbourne Victory. And I think that they will, you know, start to get some more points on the board. They were much better than what they were against Western Sydney. And I think they'll be fine. Um, but I I think in terms of Melbourne City, the one thing that I want to add is about, about them is it's just like, I think that it was interesting to see sort of the shift yesterday of playing with, you know, the 1-6 with Aidan O'Neill and going back to what was probably a bit more of the the Melbourne City of last season where they played with two eights and not two sixes and Leckie playing in the midfield. And I thought Leckie was sensational yesterday. I thought that was one of his best games in a Melbourne City jersey. Um, so it does create a bit of an interesting, you know, there's, there's two big dilemmas that, or maybe even more dilemmas that Patrick Isnorbo is facing. And it's a good dilemma to have. One, when Taras Gamulka's back, do you go back to two sixes? Or do you stick with Tilio on the left, Lecky and Barisha in behind, and go with that front five per se? Do you, when Scott Jamison's fit, does he come straight back in for Geordie Boss, who has come off his best performance yet and put in a performance like that in what he did, you know, pocketing someone like Nani and showing so much going forward? Also in the defensive half, what do they do when Nuno Raish is fit? Because Thomas Lam and Curtis Good didn't disgrace themselves. I mean, that's another thing to keep an eye on, whether Thomas Lam gets shifted further forward, what flow-on effect that is from there. And then, of course, as well, what happens when Florian Berengue is fit as well? There are, this is an interesting, really interesting situation for Melbourne City because they've just got, as Joey said, they've got an embarrassment of riches. But I'm not going to say just yet that this team has is going to win the premiership because there's a, it's a long season. A lot of things can happen in a football season. There can be disruptions. Anything can happen. I probably think it's a judgment better to make in maybe after the World Cup break because God knows what's going to happen during this World Cup break with players going on international duty and what sort of response there's going to be after that. So I'm, I, I'll, make a, I'll reserve my judgments until then. 
But just in regards to this question here, guys, Geraldo's asking, what does Popovich do with Rolante suspended? I think it's going to be Nathan Constantinopoulos or Lee Broxham coming in. Just The answer is always Lee Broxham. Whenever there is a hole in a Melbourne victory lineup, the answer is Lee Broxham. Um, had Leckie ever played midfield before? Yeah, he has been he playing in the there semis. in preseason. And he, he's been playing there in preseason and he played a few appearances there last season as well. Never to the same level as effectiveness as he did in the Melbourne Derby. Uh, I disagree with that. In the semi last year against Adelaide, in the semi last year in the second leg, PK moved him centrally and that helped swing the pendulum in their favour in that game. I think he, he was he was good in that in that spurt. In that, it was good, I but I don't think he was well. as good as, as he was on Saturday. Look, quick Help them answer. Quick answer. Tilio. Started the match. There was a lot of talk in the first two games about him not being there. Um, kind of felt like his soccer his chances were slipping by the minute. Did he do enough to put him back in that, you know, 55-person list or more? 55-person. He, he, he would have been in the 55. He was, he was fine. He was a fine to good. He wasn't outstanding. He's closer to the squad now than he was last week because he got through a full 90 minutes and he showed flashes of his obvious talent um, and his obvious potential, showed a few good signs, showed a few signs that showed he's still lacking in a bit of end product, but that's hardly unique in Australian wingers. It's hardly unique in Australian wingers competing for a spot in this Socceroos team. Mm. At the same time, he was lucky to be still be on the park after he sort of scythed through Nanny in the first half. He was he was fine. He was um, you know fine to good. Yeah. Like he was he, he was above average. Yeah. But he did but he didn't stand up and scream at Arnold in the stands. Pick me, Arnie. Pick me. Look how good I am. Uh. So just quickly on the atmosphere, you guys were both in the stadium. Seemed really good. I noticed that they what well, they faded the music uh, for the song to give the fans a chance to kind of sing it all. Yeah, it was it was good. Sounded really good. I got to give him credit. Um. They turned up victory. Well, I mean, they turned up as in the general public turned up and the away bay was full. The, the north end was full. But I will say that the south end looked a little like there were a lot of gaps in there. And I think the fact that the, there were a few members that didn't show up. I Personally, I think that there could have been more. And it's not like it was raining well, it was as it was out, earlier right? in the day. It, it, it sound, was sold it out sound- in the general public, not with the members. No, it sounded like a lot of people looking at the scuttle, but it sounds like quite a few people from the south end just sort of went to the north end to hang out. It sounds sort sure. of like the north end was perhaps over capacity. Uh, but yeah, as Nick said, the members not rocking up around some areas of the grounds left green seats. And yeah, so it was, I was hoping that they'd get 25, 26 based on it being a sellout. So that's unfortunate, but still a raucous crowd. But Still a, a good fantastic night for atmosphere. The good night for the. Oh, it absolutely. seems to be that the only good nights for the league tend to be games involving Melbourne victory at the moment, mm. yeah. <laughs> with their crowds. But um, although we had had some strong um, and promising crowds elsewhere, although seems also disappointing. It seems like some Twitter's pictures emerging on social media in the aftermath. Um, some seats that were sort of deliberately broken not accidentally Mm. broken. Um, And it seems to be a lot of victory fans were rather disappointed in that, pointing the finger at people that don't rock up unless it's a 
what these games or the Christmas derby or something like that. And I was sort of there to just get pictures for their Instagrams and Snapchats of them holding flares and breaking seats because, you know, they're well-armed hooligan types. So that, you know, that was disappointing, you know, some people, you know, rocking up and, you know, look at me, I'm Muhammad, I'm our Bruce Lee sort of areas, but which is, you know. That's a snatch uh, line just yeah. in case. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a bit just, silly. Yeah. Like if you act like an idiot, if you're, if you're just pretending to act like an idiot, the problem is that everybody just thinks you're an idiot. Nobody knows you're pretending. Yeah, I don't know. Look, what do you get out of breaking a chair, though, guys? Like, what yeah, do you get out of it? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't, it's just because it's, it's well armed. Because you, be also, you don't want like you don't want. We've really talked about how you don't want security getting overly yeah. involved in A leg matches, yeah. and this shit does encourage that. I, you know, I don't think it justifies uh, increased security presence, increased police presence, which I think does ruin derbies. But it's harder to argue that the you know police and security shouldn't be involved when you've just got dumbasses breaking chairs for no reason. So I don't know if that can be better self-policed by the North Terrace or not, uh, you know, how that can be dealt with, but I would, you know, hopefully it can be dealt with without the increase of security and police. I mean, idiots ruining it for everybody else seems to be a theme of Australian football so far in the past few months, but it's also, it's costing Melbourne victory. Like Melbourne yeah. victory, you know, will have to pay for the damages of all of that sort of stuff. And yeah. point th- like any points deductions will hit mm. Melbourne victory. Like mm. maybe that's one of the things next time somebody gets caught, you know, like throwing a flare onto the pitch, I think is the bad one. There, there have been flares in the past, but last on Saturday, there were a few absolutely thrown onto the pitch, which mm. is likely to attract a bit more attention. Perhaps the person that throws a flare onto the pitch in cops and gets victory uh, points deduction, should have to go and have a meeting with Tony Popovich. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, our Liga points out North End lit more flares than victory had shot on targets. Um, yeah, interesting, the flare one. It seems like we're a little bit more accepting of flares in 2022. I remember you no, know, it's back in the word. day. Yeah. In the Wanderers would light one flare, and it was like, "Oh my god, the, you know, the Australian football is crushed by these flares!" And like it was, people were overreacting massively. Look, I'm not saying that you know that you should be ripping flares every five minutes. You definitely shouldn't be throwing them on the can pitch. I, but I like them. Can I say? I think. Can I do something which I think sums up TNC as a whole's attitude to flares? Yeah, go on. By all means, enjoy it, but enjoy it by being fucking disciplined here. Perfect. That was sensational. That's exactly right. Enjoy it, but don't don't overstep the line. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're playing with fire, you can't get burnt. All right. Um, Literally yeah. in flares cases. Do you know what exactly. we need? Do you know what we yeah. need? Like we need maybe um, we need Neil Warnock to record like a message that they play at every game. It's like you know you Is can like flares on cameo. It's like, you, Is Neil it's, like on- it's like you know. It's like, you know, the back in the day when you used to hire a DVD and it's like, you wouldn't steal as this, you wouldn't steal this. And it's like, you wouldn't steal a DVD. We need a Neil Warnock version shown at every game. And it's like, rip a flare, but do it by being disciplined. <laughs> what we need, we need Neil Warnock coaching in the A-Leagues. No, oh, that'd be we do awesome. not need that. Bring him in. No, do bring him in. No, right. Bring him in. Come on. Look, I, I put him in the coverage. We might get right? stolen in the don't... media box then if Neil Warnock starts coming. 
look, there's never been a good Neil Warnock team to watch. Uh, Daniel <laughs> makes the point. Uh, we've hit an hour, TNC. Going to end the pod or not. Look, no. we're going to get there. We're going to get – look, we're going to be quick. We're going to be quick. Let's just get on to the last two games. Uh, Sydney FC 2, Adelaide United 2. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the red card, the VR controversy. Um, I was in the stadium. Uh, when I saw it on the big screen, I was like, oh, well, this is going to get rescinded. Uh, you know, that was a ridiculous decision. The referee's going to be properly embarrassed by this. And then it was just like – Ibasuki was standing on there like, right, okay, well, it's not going to be a red card. It's all good. Let me take my position again. And then eventually they just went through it. It was it was one of the weirdest ones. But we got to give credit to uh, Philip Roller because as much as we're in a massive rivalry with him, he did point out on Twitter uh, that Carl Viet not was it just last week that said that any tackle they've been told that were any tackle two weeks ago uh, were any tackle where the studs basically make contact if you, if your feet are, if your studs are showing and you make contact with someone that's a red card and. You know, that, I guess that's what happened today. It seemed ridiculous. It seemed like it should have been overturned. Uh, but, you know, shout out Philip Rollo for just, you know, eight-balling uh, receipts. Carl receipts. Yeah, just right in. Um, what did you guys make of this game? Um, just quickly, I've actually got, if we want to continue this red card thing, I've actually got Carl Viet's quotes uh, that I've been able to pull up because everyone was talking. I think it was a young boy, Lockie Flanagan, who was saying, I'm worried that Carl Viet is going to um, like implode or combust by the end of this game because he looked so frustrated on the touchline. Um, so this is what he said. He goes, I'm sure everyone that was watching the game will have a very similar opinion to me. That's something we don't want in the game. We're trying to attract a lot of new supporters to the game. Decisions like that might put people off. I think everyone in the league will want an explanation because they'll be getting worried if we're going to have red cards for challenges like that. Mm. And so Pagonis points out mm. um, by that standard, then Casera should have been off too. Yeah, like that was the weird thing. There were weird, there were some yellow cards that were being given, and you were like, "What is he talking about?" I think at one stage it was just like a clear, you know, ball-winning tackle. But then other things were getting pulled up. It was a bad, bad game from the ref. You know, we don't like to talk about refs too much mm. in this show, but it was bad. Last yeah, a couple bad. of weeks ago. I talked about the need for Football Australia to come out and lead the narrative on something like this. And I think this is another area where it's incumbent upon the powers that be in Australian football to lead on this sort of thing. I have instituted a rule for myself wherein I don't like to just flat out say that a referee has gotten the decision wrong and attack a referee because I haven't done the referee's badges and all of that sort of stuff. I, it can be hard with like the decision such as today where I can voice like, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that was reviewed and that was a bit contentious. But what I think needs to happen in these situations is in, this is an area where we need more transparency. We need more honesty. We need, oh my God, do not read out the comments, Nick Stoll. Um, <laughs> is this a, what, was, what was the one the other week? The no, big, I'm going to oh, keep doctor. going. This is, this is a the situation... Doctor. No, shout this out is, if you remember the doctor's no, name. No, no, no. no I'm making a serious Sabina? point. Everybody shut up. I'm muting you both. I'm muting you both. This is a situation wherein we need the powers that be in Australian football. We need the people with the badges, with the expertise, with the lived experiences, with the authority, with the wisdom to come out and explain to us what has happened. We need referees, people that have done the courses that want to create a healthy 
environment, not just for referees at an A-Leagues level, but for referees at a grassroots level to come out and explain decisions and explain why things happen on the pitch, whether that's the referees union coming out. And like I did remember uh, for a while, the referees uh, union yeah. was coming out and explaining a contentious thing. Well, remember that, they used to do interviews after the yeah, game. That like sort of that stuff, that. more honesty, more transparency. It doesn't have to be the match referees themselves because, you know, God knows that they have to put up with enough getting, you what? know, yelled at and threatened and all that sort of stuff. But Look how much maybe some of they it... got for releasing yeah. the audio of that VAR decision a week ago. Maybe it's the match assessor. Maybe it's a designated person at Football Australia because Football Australia is still in charge of refereeing. But we get more, we just sort of like take away the oxygen from what can be a toxic discussion surrounding refereeing because, like, the A League, like, if you want better refereeing at A League's level, you get better refereeing at grassroots level where these people are coming through. And it's well established that we have a crisis in refereeing at grassroots level because there simply isn't enough of them. And you know what? And my respects to everyone who is a referee at grassroots level, but I would not do that without security guards around the pitch. All right. I've seen enough of these psycho players, psycho parents. Like, you, you'd have to pay me 500 bucks, like, an hour to to get me to referee a game. And then I just give massive amounts of injury time to make sure I get to the two hour mark. You're like this guy never blows the whistle, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, Antonis Pagonis, we've seen overseas that they bring a window with the head of refs or former head of refs to give their point of view. Uh, and we also have an observation around paying 500 uh, bucks for a game. <laughs> I can fund that. Great shout. Jack can tell us. Um, look, let's move on from the red card. I don't think anyone kind of thinks it was, the right decision. Um, mm. it'd be I would love that. To have, I would love to have the thought process explained to me by somebody who's done their refereeing badges. Yeah, uh, and it'd be interesting to see if they proceed with that kind of rule of if studs touch, make contact, red cards. Because I feel like there's going to be a lot of red cards in that case. Mm. Um, and don't be I'll, a dick to your grassroots referees. Yeah, hundred uh, yeah, percent. Our league has a good crowd at SFS over sixteen thousand. Uh, like I said, I was there. It was a good crowd. It was a good moment. Uh, a lot of kids, well, people basically got to go on the pitch after the game, and that seemed to like really encourage. Like it was chaos uh, towards the end, and just <laughs> did really you go have a kickstall? Like, I wish, I wish I had the ball. But <laughs> the other thing was like, you know, in AFL, you know how people do like kick to kick just in the middle of the field, right? In football, yeah. everyone just goes straight to the goal. So, like, the best thing was they open the <laughs> gate and it's just like a full sprint to see like which little kids can get to the goal first. And then, literally, there's like once everyone's on the field, there's a wall of children. There's maybe like eighty or I don't know thirty kids in the goal, and just everyone's taking shots at them. Like, you know, they could have got knocked out. It was, it was. I loved it. I loved the chaos. It seemed like everyone was having a good time. Um, and it, look, it's one of those things where. Every time I go to an A-League game, I want the feeling to be like of the majority of the crowd, I want to come back next game. I want to come back here next week. I want to come week after week. I want to get a membership. I want to bring my friends. I think the game itself was decent um, and like it had a lot of moments and stuff and it would have helped with that. But little things like that, letting people come on after the ground. I still remember when I went on grounds, you know, as a kid, it does make you really enjoy those moments. So I think it was a really good move uh, from Sydney FC. I think they are doing a lot of good things. Um, 
Steve Corica, on the other hand, <laughs> doesn't seem to me. I mean, uh, we got a comment uh, come through from uh, Matthew Pappas. Besides the red cards, Sydney were poor after conceding the second goal. Corica dishing out the same old crap. They've they lost the first game to victory. Uh, they got a decent win away in Melbourne. But, you know, today, disappointing. The fact that they were upper man with 60 minutes and, and didn't make it count. Their next home game is the Derby against the Wanderers, who... You know, in decent form. You guys think how how much credit in the bank do you think Bimby has? No, I I think it's probably not a lot. Yeah. Like I think I said on our preview show, like if he doesn't make finals, he's gone. Yeah. And like looking at the Sydney team, is he right gone now, potentially before that? Well, that that is the question. Depends, if it's depends. if we get to if we get to it, yeah. It's it's look they're playing in a manner right now that he's not going to go, you know, during that World Cup break. So it's not gone disastrously, but it it will inevitably be a question. I mean, they made a big show and dance in their documentary of showing the meeting that they had, deciding whether or not he'd stick around. So we do know these discussions have been had in the past, but now, I it's like as you mentioned, Nick Stoll, they had. One man advantage for 60 minutes, retake the lead, but then they cough up a, an equaliser for Harry mm. van der Sarg. Before, before the red card, I thought Adelaide were well in control yeah. of that game. Isaias was getting incredible amounts of space. like, And maybe it was because which, Josh Parrish pointed yeah, which we out. Need, which he needs, <laughs> as we pointed out last week on the show. Um, but, like, it, it's... Based upon their opening three weeks of the season, it basically sort of seems as though if Sydney are going to play finals, it's going to be because Robert Mack and Joe Lolly are going to score 25 goals each. Yeah, and you know what? Joe Lolly was interesting. So he was getting the ball a lot kind of on the right wing in the first half. And I think, look, he's a left-footed player, so he, it seems Cuts like he's a, yeah, he's a lot more comfortable cutting inside. But basically the way that Adelaide was defending and the way he was receiving the ball – the most obvious thing was him to basically, you know, attack, either cut it, you know, the low cross towards the the near post or the far post or cut it back for kind of midfielders coming in. He seemed very uncomfortable at doing that. And it was just this odd thing where he was getting in the right position. Jim was thinking, okay, here's the moment. Here's the moment he's going to do it. He just didn't seem to have that confidence. When they switched him over the other side and when he was on the left, that's where the goal came from. He did a nice combination uh, with Caceres. So that was kind of an interesting moment. But then I wondered, does Joe Lolly being on the right, you know, does that, is that better um, for Robert Mack as well, who likes to be on the left? So it's just going to be interesting to see how Bimby kind of deals with that. Um, I have called him Bimby and Rhonda Memes has pointed out that uh, he's known as Mr. Sydney, according to Mr. that documentary, Sydney. Mr. Sydney. So let's see if that documentary, if, if that nickname catches on. Um, Can- but uh, Nick Tabano, you got a point? Uh, just quickly, I mean, from a Sydney point of view, um, Patrick Wood, not bad. Good. Not Good. bad. I mean, like the him. 70 minutes he played after yeah. coming on for Adam LaFondra, he was pretty good. I mean, he scored. He probably should have had two, maybe three goals. Um, I think he's a very good fit in the 4-3-3 because um, LaFondra looked like he was sort of struggling to adjust to the new system, not playing alongside someone else up front, not playing in two up top. Uh, so I think this is a – it creates an interesting dilemma for Corica going forward when LaFondra is fit. If he's out for a while, you'd think Patrick Wood gets the opportunity. Um, like first come off the rank, he starts next week. 
But when LaFondra comes back, whether Wood would have done enough to actually solidify his spot in the team. But, I mean, it was a great audition from him. Um, Interestingly enough, Luke Bratton staying on for that long and managed to play the entire game when it looked like he was about to come off at least three or four times in that first half. I... I don't know what was going on there, but he just kept falling a bit and then he'd get back up. He'd keep on playing. Um, so hopefully yeah, he's he all was... good and he doesn't wake up sore tomorrow because mm. he looked battered after that challenge early. Like, and I was worried because when he went down at the start, he was holding the back of his, like where he's hamming the back of his knees. And, you know, when someone does their ACL, they, they immediately clutch at that part of the leg. And I thought, oh, no, not again. But he got up, he managed to play on. Um, so, you know, hopefully he's all good. Doesn't pull up too sore. Um, but in relation to, I guess the rest of the game, Adelaide actually looked all right with Ben Halloran as a 10. Yeah. And yeah. If they didn't go down. Like, and to be honest, they probably, even with 10 men, they probably should have won the game. They had some good chances at the end, you know, like it says something about how poor a Sydney looked defensively guys. Like I know they've got no Wilkinson and Rodwell, but they just looked like the chasms, like even for the kiddo goal, like just how open mm. they were, you know, for yeah. kiddo to just go right through like that needs rectifying ASAP. They, they were like an ice cream in the desert, that defense. They just melted <laughs> away. It was crazy how kiddo uh, just went through. Always get a food reference in that. Well, I mean, who, who, who would have thought that basing your defensive structure on Jack Rodwell remaining healthy wasn't the smartest yeah. of calls? Yeah, that is an odd one. Um, Interesting, uh, Alan Riley also pointing out Halloran was good as a 10. No surprise, we looked at our best all season while playing him there before the red card. Um, nice assists uh, from Mr. Goals and Assist, uh, Craig Goodwin. He's another one who's kind of pushing for that Socceroos selection. Again, I, think Dono, I think he's on the plane. 26-man 20, squad? You, yeah, and you want to know why? Why? Because he took a penalty against Peru and he scored it. And Arnie is going to want to reward that. I'm stealing his off my old man. It's his theory, but it's I think he, I think he's absolutely on. One of Arnie's qualities as a Socceroos coach, one of his principles, is loyalty, rewarding the players that have gotten him to this point, that have been along on the journey. Goodwin volunteered to take a penalty against Peru, stepped up, scored it. He was injured coming into that game played through the injury, played a role in getting to the World Cup. I think it would be out of character for Graham Arnold to leave him out if he were, if he is physically capable of going, which it looks like he will be. Look, in moments, he looked all right today. So, you know, it is it is what it is. Let's move on. Nice, uh, nice interview post-game as well from Craig Goodwin. Very blunt, very to the, straight to the point. I didn't hear it. What did he say? Oh, he just was very much. She was going. It was a lot of stuff at the penalty. I don't even want to rehash it. I don't even know why I brought it up. You know, if you want to go watch it, go on to the ten football Twitter account. I can't even remember the quotes. I just remember he like went long run up, and yeah, it was very similar to what Carl Viet said. Well, one thing I think he said, "Oh, it ruined the game" or something. I don't know if it did ruin. Yeah, the game. yeah. that was still pretty yeah. good afterwards. Sometimes I think it's a little bit like you know. And again, I think was it Carl Viet saying, "Oh, you know, heat of the moment." This yeah, this will um, this will you know we're, we're trying to bring in new fans. This won't help. It's like uh, controversy does help. You know, it's always good a little bit of controversy. You know, Formula One didn't struggle because they let um, uh, Max Verstappen overtake Hamilton in that final race of the season. You know that that always helps. Hey guys, we know you love your footy, but perhaps you fancy a bit of rugby too. If so, then why not check out ESPN Scrum Reset. 
where Sam Bruce and Christy Doran discuss all the hot topics in the game, from Super Rugby to the Wallabies and All Blacks, and even further afield. Available wherever you get your pods. Uh, real quick one on this. Central Coast Mariners 1, Perth Glory 2. Bruno is injured, but also 100% fit. Look, we'll get on to the game, but this was one of the funniest things ever. The lineup comes, for anyone who missed it, the lineup comes out. They say in the comments, Bruno is injured, and that's why he's been left out. Bruno Fortaroli then comments and says, no, I'm not. I'm 100% fit. And then does the wink emoji, Perth Glory, wrong information. Just, I love this league sometimes. I love moments like this. This was fantastic. I don't know what's going on at Perth. It seems like it's a disaster. They got the win today, a vital three points. Um, but Bruno Fornaroli having issues at a club again. Joey, thoughts? Well, uh, on Bruno or the game? On Bruno. Not ideal for Perth Glory. Suboptimal? Not, not optimal, yeah. Not, not, not what they would have wanted. Um, especially considering that they're having to spend a massive amount of time on the road. They're trying to build up a new identity and a new culture under Ruben Zadkovic. And all of a sudden, this is happening. There's been rumblings for a, a little while behind the scenes about discontent between Fornaroli and the coaching staff and, um, you know, certain clauses and all of this sort of stuff. And then it sort of explodes uh, all of today. Yeah, not ideal because inevitably Perth get their first one of the season. But guess what we're uh, all talking about uh, mm. after this game and heading into the next week. It's all going to be about Socceroo Bruno Fornaroli and what is going on. Apparently Zedkovic was hammered in the post-game press conference about it and the questions are just going to keep coming as long as he remains on that alien spaceship in the room previously <laughs> occupied by Oliver Bazanic. Potentially he's on that spaceship for the same reason as uh, Bazanic was yeah, but, uh, last no, but season. Here's the thing. We, the reason that we said Bazanic was on, because we didn't hear from him at all. We, we heard absolutely nothing from Jerry Castro, I think at one stage, went on a Perth-based uh, UFO. We never heard from him. I think it was actually a bus. Stefan Kolakowski's currently on a uh, spaceship. But, but the thing is, if you can... Right on Instagram from the spaceship, uh, uh, Nick Devon. I don't know if you're mute. Sorry, I was but, on uh, mute. <laughs> go on. But I, I, I just think say, it's didn't... like this is oh, like I think it's I think it's so good that he actually like wrote this. Like it's not good for the club. Probably it's probably even not good for his future. But oh, it's, it was just so funny to see these comments. Oh, absolutely. I had I I, I found it hilarious because it was just mm. like what now? What yeah. now? You know. But and also, yeah. I love that you know that Perth what deleted the post or you know the comment was deleted. Or I think whatever. either yeah, like either, we the all comment was deleted or he deleted it. the comment. I, I already got screenshots of it. Yeah, exactly. That was, yeah, that it, it exists. I'm going to embed the screenshots posts. in my story tomorrow. <laughs> like it's still out there. Um, you know the. Um, you know his famous speech from the FFA Cup final in 2016. We're oh, gonna get that the, again. You know, like and now, <laughs> still the best, still the best uh, Australian football speech, in my opinion, was uh, when he claimed that he said "vamos" the next day. That was the funniest part of yeah. it. Um, <laughs> what did you guys think of this match? I, I'll be honest with you, I missed most of it. The Mariners, I didn't see much of it. Not looking great this season. Bit, bit of a worry. Mariners. 
did not deserve to take something from this game. They finished with a wet sail. They were throwing everything against Perth Glory, but I looked it up and, you know, I thought I was right and then I looked it up for confirmation. Um, Liam Reddy didn't have to make a single save in the final 69 minutes of this game. From when Samuel Sel Sam Selvira put the Mariners ahead to the final whistle, Liam Reddy didn't have to make a single save. Either the shots were blocked or they went wide. That, if you're at home against the Perth Glory side, who not many people have been uh, expecting to be very good, if you're wanting to play finals, you need to be better than that, I would mm. say. And, yeah, a lot of intent, mate. Well, maybe, actually, no, maybe not of a lot of intent. They didn't, the Mariners in this game didn't remind me of the Mariners that were so good last season. Like one of the defining features of the Mariners last season was how hard they worked. They yeah. worked for each other. They put their bodies on the line for each other. And I didn't get the same feeling of desperation from them in this game until the last few segments when, um, you know, they were chasing the game, squeaky bum time, desperately trying to take something out of it. I didn't get the same 90 minute level of commitment uh, that I saw from them last season. So that's obviously goals change games. If like something happens, you know, the entire thing's different, but I know it was really interesting. I mean, looking at it as well, Cummings, like his target was six goals in six games to get to the world cup. It turned into five goals oh, wow. in five games. Yeah. It turns into five goals in five games when the first game was washed out. Didn't score in this one, obviously. The team didn't look very good. He had his moments. He had his flashes because he's a very talented player, but that's not going to boost his hopes of getting in the 55. And Garen Kowal came on. I think... Let me look up his exact... He had a few nice passes. There's Garen. a question here. Did anybody else think Kowal was jogging around with a CBF attitude? Did you Did you get that? I mean, he has just come back from... Where were they playing? Uh, these these young the, uh, Q8. So Kuwait. So he, we can he, forgive him a bit for being a bit underdone. Let's say he had, he had a few nice passes. He sort of set up a chance that a half chance, as we've established, the Mariners really didn't have any good one. Hmm. Um, he had one shot that was blocked before it could force Liam Ready to do anything. Uh, like how many touches did he have exactly? I think he touched the ball eleven times. Um, was getting involved. Uh, no, in don't pieces. worry much. Mm. Yeah, like he didn't. He, like if for a for a player whose entire case for the World Cup is predicated from coming on mm. and lighting a spark and Good being point. like a game changer, he didn't come on and light a spark and change the game. <laughs> he just sort of played along with what the Mariners were already doing. Why are you laughing? I just think it is funny that it's like, all right, what does this guy do? We'll give him a big tick for does he come on and change the game? All right, come on, go on and change the game. And it's like, oh, a bow did not do that. Um, Hiraldo points out uh, CCM 0.63 XG versus 220 for Perth. Yeah, not good. Uh, Young makes a point. Mariners imports are not good at all. Urania was definitely not replaced. Urania was really good for him. And the little bits that I saw of Marco uh, Tulio today, didn't really see uh, too out. much there. So but, yeah, and there was... it's only their second. It's only their second game. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, hey, still early days. early days. Early right, days. Early days. Um, look, you know what, guys? Just quickly, just yeah. good on Perth. They won. 
Perth won a game of football. Like Did you this not is think it was going to happen. Well, you're, last you're acting year they like, were, like they were, what's the, what's the, the, the opposite really of invincibles? Did you did you think they were going to be the Vincibles and not win the entire <laughs> game all year? Well, I thought maybe. Well, I didn't even have them as my wooden spooners, but like the fact the first two games they didn't look that great, and then today they managed to pull a win out. And it's not like they're starting eleven. Was that inspiring when it came out? I mean, a lot of Perth fans were even like, oh, no, here we go again. But they fought mm. back. They got the result 2-1. Probably should have won to by more. To be fair, they actually result. deserved – they probably deserved more a than week? they got, yeah. especially against yeah. uh, Newcastle the week before. Yeah, um, should have gotten less than point. And then the first game of the season uh, was against Wanderers, and hmm. they were stinking. So, I'd did anyone deserve not, anything? I'd rather from that? not. I'd rather not think back to that game. Yeah, that that was horrendous. Um, um, but yeah. John Turner, Glory deserved to win. Dug in and stuck together, and probably the best tonic on the pitch for the poison off the pitch today. It was poison, John, but it was very funny. So a part of me thinks, you know, look, a, a few things pointed out. Yeah, a few people pointed out the A-leg all-access with um, Bruno Fornaroli would be hilarious. Imagine they just had him, but the lineup comes out and just cuts to him being like, I'll show him. Boom, he's just tweeting out. I'm fit. Was it was interesting. I saw Scott Jamison tweet about um, how he wished he could talk about things um, and he can't wait until he can share his thoughts on certain things. I think a ton of people in the comments were... Uh, thinking that he was referring to the uh, VAR decision in the Adelaide game. I think he was talking about the Bruno thing. Because i got to remember, oh. he was at Melbourne City when Bruno was first frozen out. Mm, and are you saying there's potentially some well, it's, bad uh, it's, blood? Uh, I don't think there's bad blood, but I think Jamo's always actually been very appreciative of the work that Warren Joyce did. I think Jamo thinks that Warren Joyce changed the culture at Melbourne city and like brought them a hard edge of professionalism that mom molded into what we see today. So look, that might be true, but the football that Joyce played, I don't care what he molded. That thing needs to be banned. <laughs> Delete those games from the archives. All right. Uh, I'm sick of talking. Women's about Women's World Cup. Who won't have Arzani at city highlights. Uh, style. That's true. That's true. That was the one, the one spark in the, <laughs> God, that was a shit sandwich. Um, Women's World Cup draw. Let's bring in a uh, regular member of the pod, Teo Pelizzeri. Uh Welcome to the show, Teo. Your initial reaction to the draw. Let's get into it. Women's World Cup. I thought we were talking about India versus Pakistan. Isn't Josh joining us live from the MCG? <laughs> you know what? Shout out India versus Isn't he, Pakistan. I think, he's at, I think he's at the cricket at arms, Teo. I don't think he's actually at the game. I don't think he got access. T- tough scene with the rights, I, I hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, um, he's been set across the road. Is that competition on Channel 9? Uh, uh, I couldn't believe tell it is. You. I believe it is. I believe it is. Anyway, so go uh, isn't it a, it's on KO, isn't it? It's on KO. Is it, is it Fox exclusive? I don't know. Uh, anyway, my one takeaway from the Women's yeah. World Cup draw is every plausible advantage that Australia could have hoped for as a co-host of this tournament was inexplicably given it to the United States of America. I don't understand how in a 32-team World Cup draw, uh, the one half is filled with contending teams and the United States could quite legitimately, I think, play nine versus 11 all the way through until the quarterfinals and still make the semis. It is the most lopsided draw I've ever seen and the USA will be able to sleepwalk their way to a semifinal it's unfortunate because my previous hottest take was going to be 
the United States women's national team has won the FIFA World Cup for the last time. Now oh. they only need to now they only need to win two games to win the World Cup. It's a farce. It's an absolute joke. Uh, so what do you think about Australia's group? Uh, Canada, Ireland, Nigeria. Expectations? Are we finishing top of that group? The order of the group's interesting because I do think there's a somewhat reasonable chance that with the Canada game being third, it could be a 6-6 naught-naught situation. Mm, And that is a free hit for top spot. And I actually think the absence of that pressure would be a good thing for Australia. If we go into the Canada game on four points... And with an outside chance of being leapfrogged by one of Ireland or Nigeria, it's a little bit shaky. If we go into the final game against Canada on three points because we have lost to one of Ireland or Nigeria, then that is huge trubs and that is potentially cracking under the pressure, needing a result off Canada to go through. And if Canada, heaven forbid, Canada drop points in their first two games and arrive in that third game needing a result themselves. So I think best case scenario for Australia is it is a 6 6 naught naught. We're already through, and the Canada game is a free hit at top spot. I mean, you say 6 6, there's less pressure on it. I think there's still a ton of pressure if it's given if it's 6 6, given that who does second place in Australia's group likely play in the round of 16? England, and then, England. The winner of that, and then the winner of that game would almost certainly get Germany unless Germany conspire to lose yeah. to Brazil. Somehow conspire, take page. Conspire to not win their group, yeah. I mean, mm. so like looking at this... Like- yeah, and by the way, just to put that in context, America, if America win their group, which again, the Netherlands are going very badly at the moment, so they absolutely should win their group. Never mind the goal difference boat race if they were to draw against the Netherlands. Most likely Italy, and then most likely Japan. And if it's not them, it'll be Norway or Argentina. I mean, give us a spell. I can't Can believe I... it. I cannot believe Gabby how Garden, easy, Gabby how Garden easy the USA's run in. National team. Gabby Can Garden versus say, the US. This is history. If you're watching this right now, you can be doing anything in the world right now, but you're watching this show, you're listening to this show, and this is history <laughs> because this is the most anti-Americanism you'll ever get on an ESPN pod, <laughs> all right? ESPN has been recording, has been producing content for years, and no one has ever come out so staunchly anti one of their catchphrases is the MLS. Stoll, <laughs> actually, no, but ESPN fair. doesn't have the rights to MLS, so actually that's all good. No. <laughs> to be fair, Stoll, no one in America is going to notice because we're talking about football and yeah. in america they play soccer, soccer. they play soccer, soccer. women's yeah. soccer women's, women's soccer, soccer. Women's soccer. Abby, down under abby, in new zealand soccer. abby wambach <laughs> i mean if <laughs> so annoying, was, like, like if there was Rapido. any if the draw was going if the draw was going to be if serena williams played anything, soccer do you think she'd just win all the goals <laughs> <laughs> Mate, oh, how long to we get Coco like, Goff left back I'm going to actually make a point here my daughter, if, if my draw, daughter if, she plays the high I Barcelona press that's what she's doing <laughs> Alan oh, Iverson Candace would could, have been like Leo Messi Iverson better than Messi do we think that soccer can, Leo Messi would, wouldn't stand a chance could, guys could guys have imagine Candace if Buddy Franklin played for the Socceroos mate <laughs> oh, here comes Buddy. This might be, this might be the last TNC. 
That, this is, is, that thing is, Buddy Franklin playing for the Socceroos is the Godwin's law of every Australian football discussion. So now that I've invoked it, imagine, let's hear Joey's point. Imagine a team with Buddy, Paddy Dangerfield. <laughs> Cyril. <laughs> Cyril. I think it's got, I think, to be honest, though, the path that the U.S., like, it's a, for the organisers, for FIFA, for the bean counters, Teo, though, the U.S.'s draw is absolutely fantastic. Because you can pretty much guarantee they'll go on a run to the semi-final or the final ratings, and they're going to play all their games in New Zealand with the broadcast yeah, but, times perfectly suited but, for American audiences. The U.S. women's team are not the Brazil men's team. They're not beloved by neutrals. They're far closer to the Indian yeah. cricket team or the Australian cricket team. In or the, the English yes, they, football team. We want yes, to celebrate they, when they get kicked hmm. out. Yes, they win, and yes, they're great, but they're not beloved by neutrals. Yeah, but people will no. w- watch to watch them lose. Yeah, true. 100%. Yeah, they're sort of yeah. like, yeah, they're, the they're like sort of like my argument for why South Melbourne would have been a viable A League's team because people would have tuned yeah. in to watch them lose. Well, it's, it's the same sort of why thing. So with many the US. people watched the MPL Grand Final, Joey. So many people wanted to see that happen as well and took joy yeah, in it. Let's let's leave that let's leave that aside. <laughs> you, you've heard okay. You've heard my thoughts on the group. I I look. I would hope that Australians buy up enough tickets so that we're not outsung in Sydney by the Irish fans because the one thing that could really swing this group on its head is if we don't beat Ireland in the opening game and could an intangible such as walking out to a home world cup and it's not a home ground atmosphere be the sort of thing that could really throw the team off. I'll I'll tell you what, based on our recent developments, I'm a bit worried about what the Irish fans might be singing, but uh, like this is a group that the, uh, Matilda should absolutely be targeting to top. Like the narrative yeah. shouldn't immediately shift to being, oh, it's a, you know, Canada's in there and it's going to be tough and Ireland beat the Matildas and it's going to be tough and Nigeria's but one of the best. Hang on. You're basically paraphrasing Tony G's post draw interview there, Joey. If it starts at the top with him, wouldn't it be nice if his reaction was slightly more optimistic then? I'm saying that there should be optimism. They should absolutely mm. top or top this group. Like the target should absolutely be to top this group. I didn't watching the Matilda series against Canada recently, the two game series, like there was enough signs there that with proper deployment and proper utilization, this Matilda's team should absolutely be able to beat Canada albeit acknowledging that Canada had a series of players missing in that contest. The same thing with Ireland properly utilized um, and deployed the Matildas should absolutely be beating Ireland. Same thing with Nigeria. There is no reason why Australian football fans shouldn't, not expect, but maybe demand, sort of, you know, put say we should be taking nine points from nine in this group. Can Just a point about the Ireland game. Does that sort of evoke memories to the opening game of 2019 against Italy and seeing how disastrous it can be if you don't win that game against the team that's supposed to be the, the third ranked best team in your group, a team that you know, you're supposed to beat and you're on the back foot for the remainder of the, the group stage? It's funny, Dubano, because I, if I may go with the cheap plug, I was on a live reaction with Michelle Escobar and Isabel Coots yesterday. Saw that. And I immediately thought of Italy losing to the Republic of Ireland at the 1994 World Cup. Uh, in, of course, in America, where there were two huge uh, 
uh, expat communities of Italians and Irish, and they turned Giant Stadium into a 50-50, into a 50-50 crowd. And then I realised that neither Isabel or Michelle were even born when that game took place, and I realised how old I was. <laughs> no, well, just on that ball, I mean, if, if we're going to go Those with are some, uh, route, we, 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 we can lose... Memory. Yeah, the, the Matildas can lose the game, Teo, because we're going to make the final and lose in the most heartbreaking way on penalties then. So, um, I mean... Who is who is look, the divine ponytail of the current Matildas team? Yeah. Is it Sam Kerr? Look, I, here's a question for you guys. I was a little disappointed that some of the teams that I wanted to come to Australia got drawn oh. into the New Zealand side. Same Correct. here. Spain. Spain. Spain, Spain was a big thing. Argentina. Um, Brazil oh. being here is a good thing, uh, mm-hmm. I think. Um, France group, are here group, as well. Group H is just a it's a it's a tough group. At least Colombia played two games in Sydney, and there's a huge Colombian population yeah. in Sydney. But Germany, Korea, Morocco. I mean, we could have punted those across the ditch. Yeah. I think I upset well, a few New Zealanders because I had I had Rollo, Jason Pine, and Ricardo Ball <laughs> all in my mentions. After saying, "Hey, Australia blockbuster theory means we need the big teams, please." I mean, we could organise a trade. Yes, World Cup Women's World Cup Trade Week, Tabano. This is marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Brought to you by Continental Tires. (laughs) I am liking the look of Group F as well. I think the the vibes at Jamaica versus Brazil have the potential to be absolutely immaculate. And we get it. I think I said on the show last week. I wanted, yeah, I, I wanted the Matildas to draw. Jamaica and Brazil in their group just purely for vibes purposes. So like I also said Nigeria on the show last week. So I got one of my three preferred opponents. The thing is when hosting a world cup, it's all about vibes. It's all about how much fun you have around the tournament. It's all about, you know, all the matches and and having all the color of all the fans traveling. And, you know, it is also about, you know, the Matildas doing well, but the the fact that we continue to persist with Tony G means that that's not going to happen. So all we can focus on is the vibes. All right. All we can enjoy. Let's focus on that. That's what we want in this country. A great tournament where we just have an amazing time. Well, speaking of vibes, did did anyone actually listen to Infantino's speech? Because he went up there and he out. said, he had, he, "No, but that's the thing. You zoned out and you missed a bit where he said, Gillen McLaughlin, Peter Velandis, football is coming to take you down.' And it's like no one report, no one reported it because everyone had glazed over and tuned out. Like my God, it's the most amazing quote. No, he didn't actually say I'm, that. But like, imagine I, I'm he, when, he, when he said, when he said we're going to turn the game upside down in in this part of the world. I thought, oh my God, he is going to call them out. And then he said." Because Down Under will be on top. And I thought, ah, oh, there was your oh, moment. Yeah. There was your moment to say, Gillen McLaughlin, Peter Volandis, we're coming for you. You you wanted him to have his very own uh, Booker T and Harlem Heat versus Hulk Hogan moment. <laughs> well, well no, the thing. Blah, 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 blah. What was that? <laughs> I, when Infantino comes to Australia, because the draw was in New Zealand, who is the poor soul that is going to get Gianni Infantino With to try and hold a Sharon? <laughs> We should get a TNC branded. We should get a TNC branded Sharon. I run the memes, and we should get Gianni Infantino to hold the TNC branded Sharon. I need it. That is incredible. I I just 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 throw it at him in public and hope he catches it. And somebody takes the photo of him catching the Sharon. Just the perfect like. But make sure if you throw it up high. 
and just get someone like quickly with a tackle bag to go underneath so you get Infantino, you beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I can already see it on the front page. I can already see it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. um, by um, the way, sorry, I... sorry for completely derailing what was a very good podcast up to this point, oh. fellas. Look, no, I just got to say, I'm improving, I... taking it to another level. Nah, I got to performance say, mode on that. <laughs> I was very disappointed. <laughs> That we're not getting, like you mentioned that, mate. I'm gutted that we're not getting Italy here because, yeah. like, the Italian community, like, there's a chance if I was, I was doing the maths yesterday, trying to figure out any permutation again to Australia. I think they have to win their group and then they're coming to Melbourne. I thought, you know what? Like, we're in for that. Like, we're looking good here. So, Sweden, get ready to be in the mud, mate. The Azzurri are coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, we did miss out on some good teams. It just, it just bumped Yeah, we did. This right. is why we need to have a trade. We need to organize some sort of trade here, you know? Who open. would you give them? Who would you, like, do we give them Group Canada? H? Group, they can have group all of Group H. Group H, group H is theirs. <laughs> so they can have Germany. <laughs> Colombia. Colombia will be fine. That, Korea. There's a massive yeah. Korean population here in Australia. I don't know what yeah. you're all complaining about. We didn't go... Oh, what? Man, yeah. everyone hates England. All right. No, but like, see, I don't no hate. No, no, no. I go the other way. England's women, I find incredibly likable, even to the point <laughs> where, as a Manchester United hater through no. all of my youth, <laughs> I don't hate the Manchester United women's team because of the England connections they've got in that team. I find them to be an incredibly likable team. They are. They're hella incredibly. And Serena Weigman is an incredibly likable coach. I think I've said on this podcast before, I wanted to take England's men at the World Cup. This South well, you know what's funny? Talking, talking about England's men really quickly. I was just reading an article before the show. Garrett Southgate has employed the same tactic as Arnie as not telling any of the England players that if they're making the 55-man squad. So maybe Garrett Southgate is employing English DNA, Joey, because wow. he realized that his tactics aren't enough to get over the line. So it's all about the DNA now. You haven't achieved nothing yet. You haven't achieved nothing yet. All right, mate. Yeah. Well, Southgate didn't even make them millionaires, though. They were millionaires before they came to his team. So, arguably, Arnie's Arnie's DNA is better. Okay. In fact, they made him a millionaire. (laughs) So, I've got a question. Um, If Australia wins the group, it's highly likely that we get either Denmark or China in the round of 16. If we finish runner-up in the group, England would have to have something catastrophic happen to finish second behind China or Denmark in that group. And we suspect that Chile will be the, the team that wins through the playoffs to get into group D. So round the table, does Australia win a knockout game at the 2023 FIFA women's world cup? I think we're finishing second to Canada in the group. And the only way we're beating England in a knockout game is if it is almost an identical replica of the Olympics, of the Olympics. Yeah. but the difference is interim coach at the Olympics uh, players like Beth Mead were out of favour and not on the England radar. Their team, just on paper, is considerably better. And then the coaching upgrade for Wiegmann is almost infinite nah. at, at this point. So I don't think Australia is going to win unless it is, Australia. again, a, a one-in-a-thousand a one game fluke like we had at the Olympics. Uh, on likely scenarios, Australia has to win their group if they want to progress through to the quarterfinals. Like Uteo... Taking off my Homer hat and actual putting proper analysis, it, it would have to take something miraculous based upon current form and the current personnel and coaching staffs to see the Matildas upsetting England in the round of 16, even with a hostile home um, advantage. Well, we don't even know how hostile it is. You know, maybe England's expats. We saw how much uh, massive support England were able to get in the Euros. I mean, 
England to Australia isn't exactly the most uncommon of holidays or jet sets, and England doesn't exactly have a small expat population in Australia. I don't know how many people are taking that holiday in June. Coming from winter to winter. But like we're talking about this right now. Like, think about it. Very likely that the men will have disappointed in Qatar. It will be a sort of situation like we've had. We had disappointed me. It'll be a situation. (laughs) And the Welsh have knocked out England in the group stage. It'd be a situation it's catastrophe where catastrophe for could, the three lions. Uh, <laughs> Cuts at square. It'd be oh a situation. He's, he's it, it, it'd, be a, it, it'd be a situation wherein the men are likely coming off a disappointing World Cup, and it could be a situation like we've seen in the past where the Matildas sort of, when the Socceroos weren't very good to watch, the results weren't going very well, everybody convalesced around the Matildas. Could be the same for England. So you mm. could. This and especially coming off a European Championship win, in which they everybody saw the groundswell and the amazing scenes in England from that, it could very much be a case of where we see similar levels of support for England's women at the World Cup that we see regularly for England's men at European Championships and World Cups. And uh, although not as drunken uh, and loutish, they've been knocked out by a goal. I'm not sure I can quite describe how I want to describe that goal, but uh, uh, certainly thunderous. Um, I think I I think I speak for everyone watching, listening, uh, that we want to see England get knocked out. He's gone. We got rid of him. We got rid of him. Um, uh, our Liga asked a question uh, for Nick Debano. Nick, how's Italy going to go at the World Cup? <laughs> Mate, we're going to have our we're going to have our feet up. We're not going to be worried. No. We're not going to a, a fraudulent World Cup. Like it's all good, you know. Yeah, we're good. You be guys have protested. Back. You guys hey, have taken a stand. Italy- They've taken Italy a stand for eight to... years now. Like, yeah, uh, exactly. We're, we're ahead of the curve, ahead of the curve yeah. with Russia, and now yeah. we're ahead of the right. curve with. It's going to be incredible going, to not... see what reasons they come up with for boycotting 2026 as well. It's, now it's good that what hey, they've hey, done hey. is they've boycotted. <laughs> they've boycotted two World Cups and then elected Little Miss fascist. So good to see that they've balanced out. You know, playing playing all sides as but, the Italians tend to do but, historically. But look, uh, it's simple. You know, the the World Cup's supposed to be you know Unestate italiana the italian summer we're going to yeah. world cup in winter mate. Yeah. that's right it's not the italian way you know none of the european teams are going to win it because it's like what's the point you know um hey speaking of what's the point what is the point uh are we done with women's World cup draw is there anything else you guys want to say before we move on oh did oh, we I mean, we, we've, we've had a laugh we've had a laugh here but i i do think that you know the the ticket sales sort of the groundswell of interest in neutral games mm. this is a real litmus test for the country, I'm really intrigued as to whether FIFA's boasts about how it is going to be uh, transformative in its effect on the game here comes true. And if that halo effect does miraculously appear, because I think a lot of people know the machinations and the ways that our domestic codes work and the uh, sort of subterfuge that they can undertake. So let's see just how aggressive it is. And, and that's absolutely why Infantino should have called out Gillen and Peter up on the stage. Just, Here we go. Genuine... Concurrent AFLW season at the same time it's running. We're going to have a concurrent AFL and AFLW season and NRL and everything going at the same time. So uh, good luck for the airspace. But anyways, um, what I was going to ask is about the time slots, like how is it going to work during the week? Like, are they all going to be able to have like three games at night? Like, are they going to be able to spread it out because of New Zealand's time differences and everything like that? Like, how is that going to work? Because if you've got a game in the afternoon on like a Wednesday, 
like i don't know if it's school holidays and people are going to be at work like how is that going to work out like i'm just curious because they actually haven't announced any like time slots they've got dates mm. but they don't have the actual time slots so i i am curious how that works out well heraldo was heraldo was onto the us getting drawn in new zealand because it means that they can perhaps play during yeah. the afternoon and a kinder time slot for the uh, for the US TV audience. And let's not forget, FIFA's been on the front foot about how uh, they're not selling the TV rights packages in Europe until they get bids that actually meet what they consider adequacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Which, interesting it's, it's a bit it's It's a bit interesting, yeah, them saying these bids are woefully inadequate and don't accurately reflect the value of the women's game whilst at the same time having such low prize money for the Women's World Cup themselves. Bit of uh, having their cake and eating it too on that front. FIFA being hypocritical? Never. No. (laughs) No. What are you talking about? (laughs) Also, FIFA demanding more money? Never. No. Possible. They're Um, a not-for-profit style. Come on now. That's true. true. Thank you, FIFA, for the work you do. Um, (laughs) Hey, speaking of... Not for profit. Uh, this next team is definitely not for profit. Um, Brisbane Raw, uh, they uh, maybe they have turned a profit once in their time, but the decision to close the uh academy, um, you know, it was one that uh, you know, basically kind of just sums up a series of decisions that the Raw have made over the last few years. They were in the Raw Salona days, even off the pitch, they had their issues, but. They were kind of the peak A-League team, the kind of team that we're like, you know, this is what we want our team to be. Their grand finals, I know they didn't have the best crowds always, but their grand finals would sell out Suncorp Stadium and it seemed like there was a lot to build on. But this is just another chapter in what is a pretty awful book that is the the Backery's book at Brisbane. Um, what did you guys make of this? I said last week that the only people left supporting Brisbane Raw are parochial Queensland um, state logo on the badge chest wearing you Victorian and New South Wales flogs are just biased against us. They're the only people who could possibly be left Mm. supporting this club. I said that last week and then this Mm. happens. Prove me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Prove me wrong, please. (laughs) Connecting with the grassroots. Get rid of the team that's in the grassroots. Um, Joey, do you know more information about this? Kind of like the decision making, what's going on? I mean, it's you look at everything that happens. So the announcements that comes out, they get ratioed to hell to the extent that they delete the tweet. Um, uh, David Dome from the Wellington Phoenix comes out and tweets that it appears to have been just a cost-cutting exercise. Um, uh, Football Queensland releases a statement saying that this was a decision that was reached by Brisbane Roar alone. Warren Moon, I think, came out the next day and said that he didn't, you know, make this decision. This wasn't something that he decided as well. So, I don't know. I've seen... Charlie Austin came out and said Connor Chapman needs to defend better and it was like, now's not the time. Char- Charlie Austin was... It was interesting looking at Charlie Austin's likes during this entire thing as well. Um, do you want to... Do you want to I can't remember what exactly liked? what they were, but I remember they were a bit loose. Um, go and check his Twitter account. He probably hasn't unliked them yet because he's a rather loose unit. Um, I see some people talking about how, like, this is actually probably the right decision to make because this will be a better to, you know, better for actual development because, you know, it works out better in Adelaide and all that sort of stuff. But 
I tend to agree with what Vince Regari tweeted in that why would you give uh, Brisbane Raw the benefit of the doubt at this point when it comes to anything? I mean, another person involved in an A-Leagues club has said it looks like it's just a cost-cutting exercise. So on that front, I think, and I don't, I also don't agree with sort of the logic behind the reasoning that this it's for the best for development because A-League clubs are useless at running academy. So they might as well, you know, just get rid of them because they're a waste of money because they're terrible at it. My thinking with that be was just like, make, expect them to get better at it then. You know, it's not a situation we're in, like, I don't like doing the dishes, so I'm going to do such a bad job of doing them all the time that my partner stops asking me to do them so I don't have to worry about it anymore. That wouldn't fly in my room. with you. (laughs) It's, I'm actually amazing at housework. Uh, But, (laughs) like, that's just the example. That wouldn't fly. So why does, like, the, the reasoning just, they're so bad at development, so take them off, take it off them. Like we should expect them to just we should our demand should be for them to get good at development rather than they're just terrible at it so take it off them. But I well, think you, you, look, you got to say that, but they were pretty good because they didn't get relegated um, from their MPL. Uh, oh, you are rubbing so must, salt in the they wounds. They've been doing something right that they managed to escape relegation. You know, fair play to that team. Uh, Gerardo points out makes me even more angry about my MPL club being relegated this year instead of Raw's MPL team. They finished but, above. I mean, what's what's most confounding is, I mean. Joey and I, you know, we do follow the NPL Victoria quite closely, but we we've it's it's been just Brisbane, Queensland has been the nursery of Victorian top end talent in the NPL for a decade, if not longer. Clearly, the people who work and coach and educate at grassroots level, actual, you know, pre-NPL grassroots or NPL junior grassroots are doing an outstanding job. How is it that sort of the nursery of talent. Plus you've got the Sunshine Coast right there as well, which is its own little sort of underutilized, untapped sort of source of players. How is it that at the pointy end where there's incentive to develop and sell players overseas, that's where the chain is breaking down. Normally it's the other way around. And yet Brisbane gets so much, Queensland and Brisbane specifically get so much right getting the players up to a certain level and then it just, disappears it makes no sense at all i mean the elephant in the room surrounding what goes wrong at brisbane and the investment and all that has been done to death but i think you know what my biggest takeaway around this wasn't so much devoted solely to brisbane it was like reflecting on the league and i'm like thinking it's it, the contention sounds sort of ridiculous but like the a-leagues sort of has the A-Leagues is based upon some sort of moral authority, for lack of a better word. The A-Leagues are built around, it's a it's a closed shop, um, no promotion, no relegation. It's only these entities in there. And that is based upon the understanding that they can do it better than everybody else. They are more financially stable. They are better at the commercial side. They are better in, They are able to provide better environments for players. They are able to do this football thing better than everybody else. That's why they are given protected status within the footballing system. But then you look at situations like we're in Brisbane Raw, seemingly getting rid of academy teams for what other people in the A-Leagues are calling a cost-cutting exercise. The Newcastle Jets haven't had ownership for how long now? We talked about the crowd situations before. 
and you look at this and you, you, you begin to ask yourselves, is this really the, the best we can get? Is this worth, does what we are seeing deserve protected status within the Australian football ecosystem? That's why I said before, like the low crowds aren't a Western United problem. They're a league problem because the leagues have their own protected special status in Australian football, and that carries with it responsibilities. If you are going to walk the walk and say, we've got our hands on the key, we've got, our, we've got the keys to the car now, we're driving, we've got the inbuilt knowledge to take this to the next level, it's incumbent on you to back that up. And you have to acknowledge that there's a lot of smart people at the APL doing a lot of really cool things, and COVID hasn't helped, but there always needs to be this underlying level of competence everywhere in the A-Leagues because the A-Leagues are only as strong as the weakest chain. Melbourne Victory get fantastic crowds, amazing. Melbourne City have amazing resources. Western Sydney Wanderers, fantastic stadium. Sydney FC, Bling FC, really strong teams. The Western Sydney Wanderers, not, not, not the Western Sydney Wanderers, Central Coast Mariners, great youth development. I can pick out all of these strengths and all of these you things the A-Leagues do. Box office, Perth yeah. Glory, good socials, always getting the players to engage, good stuff. I can pick out all these great things, but the A-Leagues inherently, because of the way they're set up, are only ever going to be as strong as their weakest link. Yeah. And Brisbane Raw is proving quite the weak link. Uh, Nicholas Regal via YouTube says, new GM of football was previously involved at Adelaide, which seems to be the development system. Raw are going down the path. Um, oh, that's, that's NCC programs, which are ostensibly run by the Federation. Yeah. Football Queensland came out and said that they had, they weren't consulted on this. And if they're going down the same path as Adelaide, it means everyone they develop is going to end up in the Melbourne City Academy. <laughs> well, um, everyone from Brisbane already ended up in the Melbourne Victory Academy. So, yeah. look, it, it's a it's a shame, and, and it's one of those things. That I think it's a really good point you make, uh, Joey. Is that we talked about it before? These documentaries, a small step forward. Fantasy, a small step forward. Sydney FC's new stadium, and and you know. These things, more steps forward, but these things seem to be a big uh, step back. Um, all right, we're going to leave it there. We're going to talk about uh, quickly our fantasy league. I suck at this A-League fantasy. I am like <laughs> beyond relegated. I, am I, I'm the first person to create the second division because I've been relegated into the second division. I haven't won any of my head-to-head Fantasy games. second division, wow. Um, Pro-Rel for yeah, fantasy. We need Pro-Rel for fantasy. I'm the first one to get relegated. This is depressing. <laughs> am I even playing this game oh, right? Like, no. mate, depressing, is having, depressing is having Jason Cummings as your captain and watching him collect a yeah. zero in the final game of the weekend when you needed something closer to 20 rather no, than You and me both, Taylor. You and me both. Yeah. Well, okay, let's. I'll run through the results. The reason I fronted up for the pod was more or less to come and take my medicine for having been um, defeated for the second week in a row. But let's run through the, the How are the, the randoms a top three? Uh, the top three, <laughs> yes. So, uh, Lockie, young boys, demigods, were smashed 104 to 57 by Derek's, one of the randoms. Uh, Andrew, uh, one of the randoms, beat Demir's daddy qual 84 to 77. So an honorable loss there for Demir. Uh, TNC Live Sundays, Nick Stoll's team were defeated 83 to 41 by Razor Rise Hermanos, another of the randoms. No, that's Al- Pav. They, oh, that, okay, right. Alex Pavlidis. My apologies. Uh, Pascal Al- goalkeeper Alex Pavlidis. 
Alino's Bridge, Nick DeBano. Yeah, but no, a th- no, hold on. That's inside information because he works for an A-League <laughs> club and he knows who's starting. And I was like, Beckham Padze, make him Stole. my captain. And Beckham this is Padze, how many, how many journalists, clothes. how many commentators? We have, we have presenters on the TV. If we can't get inside information of our own, how good a job must we be doing? Look. And he and and Pav only started one Melbourne victory player against you, and it was Chris Economides. Well, and because right, he knew so how they were going to play this week. Ne- next result: <laughs> Nick Devano, Alino's Bridge, uh, winning by less than one straight kick against Ben Smith's My Castro Romance, <laughs> sixty-seven, not sixty-seven points to sixty-two. Vince Regari, Vinter Milan goes down to Jason Pine, fifty-one Ooh. points to sixty-five. So Piney is two and one. Uh, I may have uh, done some fantasy rehab. I was uh, Jens Fjellstrom for a week to help out Taryn's I Will Forget. Sadly, it didn't work. The restumping continues. 33 points to 56 defeat to Phil Rollo's Tasman United. So Rollo gets off the mark. Joey's Just, Chiefs no, no, staff. No, 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 there we go. <laughs> Wait, no, no, I want to hear what no. it's for. Going down 86 to 59 against Anna Harrington's name redacted team. I wonder when we can fix this situation, by the way. Uh, also, Alan Brosk, another of the randoms, 86 points to 29 win Jeez. against Josh's. Hey, can I just say about FC Josh? Smooth Brain. Josh was talking such a big game after round one. He's like, I've got fantasy on lockdown. I'm going to win this whole thing. He has he had the lowest score of the week it. by 40 points. Mate, <laughs> lower than mine? Surely not. Who does he have uh, in his team? Yeah. I only so had like 40 points. Al Hassan Toro, Michael Weir. Did he have Nanny as captain Kedete for a double negative? He had, he had Nanny as captain. He had Kadete in his team as well. He had, had Max Burgess in his team. Shout out. Stay he, loyal he had, to Burgess. Coming good. He, had he only had Cardo's one player party. break double digits. <laughs> he had now, Harry van der Sag on the bench who got 16 points. That is more than half of what the rest of his team got. And van der hey. Sag's points didn't even count. You guys just right. shit on him because he had one player that broke double digits. I didn't have any players that broke double digits. Kedeta had minus five. Last two results here. Bimby's boys, 116, defeated Grace Gill's GGFC, 116 to 78. And then my team, uh, 69 points. Not so nice, though. Losing it to Mike's, listen here, F faces. No one's explained that joke to me yet, though. Uh, 92 points to 69. And it means the ladder at the end of the weekend. One second. Uh, so randoms occupy the top three. Alan Brosk and, and uh, team is just called one on nine points. Derek's and then Razor Rise Hermanos on six, along with name redacted. Listen here, F faces. Vinter Milan, Smooth Brain, Alino's Bridge, Bimby's Boys, and Jason Pine's Tower Pine. Uh, Demir's Daddy Qual on four points, and then on three are myself. Chiefs of Staff, Tasman United, Phil Rollo. And demigods, Lockie Flanagan. Ben Smith's Mike Castro Romance has one point. And then the winless teams down the bottom, Nick Stoll, Grace Gill, and Taron Hedo. Apologies. The relegation zone, Apologies and no success. The three oh. New South Wales-born people down the bottom of the league. I, I, um, I, think, Grace, no, I think Grace Gill was born in Darwin, but uh, uh-huh. yeah. How dare you? And then look, uh, Antonis Pagona says Stoll is the Brisbane Royal of the DNC League. Man, I would kick out my academy right now. They're not producing anything. Man, you know what? To be fair, though, I don't know why I'm so disappointed because I still haven't ever bothered to work out what you actually get points for in this league. Like, I've just kind of figured that I'd work it out as a goal. So, because you get it's not just goals and assists, uh, speaking of crazy like inter- interceptions and saves. And if you win, you get more points. If you lose, you don't. If your team keeps a clean sheet. 
if your yeah, captain it's actually plays and doesn't get I think shots on target as well is another one. Well, hold on. Let me let me take us through. We've also got the TNC Open Fantasy League titled Wow, what a league. And uh shout out So, I'll take us through the top 10, but in first place Why am I hearing myself? Somebody mute them. Well, let's mute you. It's not me. Um, <laughs> thank you for muting that, Nick Devano. Um, in first place, Clarky's 11 with Jamie from Jamie. They are in first place and with a 339 total points what? after three rounds. Overall rank, overall 40... rank, second. Second in all fantasy. Yeah. Listens to TNC. 40 points clear of next best Hornsby FC with David. Third place is HNK Geelong with Anthony. Moyes, Hello, Anthony. Moyes to Men is fourth. Great Hashtag, team, man. That's a great team. Yeah, good team, though. Hashtag Got Wood from Lewis is fifth. Sixth place is Adelaide Wanderer from Michael. Seventh place is Jack, Future FC, who I think is in the comments. Way to go, Jack up to seventh place in our league and 213th overall. Reading 17. Eighth place is Who Do We Singapore? Uh, Anthony. (laughs) Number nine is uh, The Set and Forgets by Eden. And rounding out, we have, they're actually on equal place in 10th on 94.7th place is Sigacic Dreamcast from Jake. What a team name. And Heartworm from Kurt. In uh, 94.7. So, hold on. Let me find where actually like a TNC panellist is in our Open League. Who's the highest scoring TNC panellist? No, it's not me. That's for sure. So, view league. Look look how long you have to scroll. This is going to go into the third hour just to find one of us. What will we suck? (laughs) 272. It's it's ESPN editor Mike Wise Mm. is the highest... Scoring points person. So in 24th place, listen here, F faces. No idea what that joker is referring no, to. Uh, yeah. yeah, but Mike Wise, ESPN Australia and ESPN FC editor is in 24th place in our league, 584th overall. All right. Well, we suck and that's as good a place to leave it as any. Uh, any last thoughts before we go, gentlemen? I'll start with you, Teo. Yes, make sure you tune in to Paramount Plus on Saturday for the match between Central Coast Mariners and Western United as I will be on Debu for the season. So thanks and success. Yes. Debano, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to get away? Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see if there'll be any plugs coming soon. Why would he say that? Joey? Articles in ESPN coming up this week. By uh, click them, share them, read them. Uh, help continue to justify my freelance wages. And if you are a person in interested in athletic development in Melbourne, interested in osteo th- treatment, uh, strength and conditioning treatment, or any sort of uh, strength and conditioning work, or any advice, go to Motus Health and Fitness. Here, located in Kensington, run by Michelle Andrews, who is amazing. Uh, go and pay her money to sort out your strength and conditioning or osteopathic needs. I mean, yeah, plug, plug your friends, That's whatever. No problem. 13, 13, 32. <laughs> <laughs> um, check out uh, Stan Sport FC, Champions League, Europa League, 
back this week. Oh, is it? A, is it a Champions League week? Oh, we didn't yeah. do Socceroos chat. The comments have just pointed out. Oh yes. Oh. Uh, look quickly on the Socceroos. Anyone got? Give me one a one sentence take. Aiden Aiden Frustich being out is a disaster. Oh, that's oh. So bad. Can I second that? He was yeah, bloody yeah. unbelievable against Milan on Monday. I was sitting there cacking it because I'm like, that. I should be, I should be getting excited about Rustic playing well, and then you know he ended up getting hurt, which was just an awful, awful bit of news. So, All yeah. Right. Do you have Very any nice. other a one sentence take on the Socceroos squad at the moment? Time for Rogic to come back and save us if Rustic is out. Yeah, that's good Looking increasingly like Cami Devlin is going to be in the squad because his form in Scotland is. Going great guns. Yeah. And Scotland, you know, really proving themselves on the European stage. Uh, Rangers about to set the record for worst ever Champions League group stage. Celtic still haven't got a win. Hearts got smacked 5-1 by Fiorentina. So really, really that league's really looking good and we should be sending all our players over there um, to continue to develop. I do have another plug. Yeah, go on. This week, I will Your your mates, uh, I don't know... (laughs) Pizza shop or something. Joey, Joey, you Joey, Joey, you are you channeling Ziz or something there with that pose? <laughs> I I don't train for aesthetics. I train to be mad strong. I uh massive triple on my deadlifts yesterday at Michelle Andrews gym. And don't make fun of Mishy because she is amazing. Um this week for ESPN, I will be interviewing one-on-one Ange Postacoglu. Oh, that's cool. You need to you, ask him who his favorite host of TNC is. You really do. Yeah. And also, can ask you, him, can you ask him time. what it's like to um, be the last person in the Australian media to do a one-on-one interview with Angel Stokoglu? <laughs> I am going to be the only one that asks him about playing against uh, Melbourne Knights, though, I imagine. That's can, true. Joey, can you ask him who won the... NPL Victoria. Joey, can you ask him who won the trade period? <laughs> um, Corrado says, ask him about Luongo. What's going on with Luongo? Um, hey, all right, guys, going we're going to leave it there because espresso uh, edition under two and a half hours. Bravo, fellas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two hours, two hours 46 minutes last week. Ridiculous. Two hours 27 minutes. Now that's what we can do. <laughs> Someone get their hand uh, on the music so I can end this broadcast. It's been right, a pleasure bro. talking to you, and we wish you thanks and success for the week ahead. Tune in thanks next success. week. Whenever the last A-League game is, that's when we're going to come back on board. Thanks.